0: Here, am I a bad man? I'd love to see Tucker Carlson run for president. He's he has he he has communicated to us. The Great One has given us a sign text Tucker to 44055. The Great One has spoken to us. Text Tucker to 44055 to become a Tuckercarlson.com insider to find out what Tucker's up to next, right? Tex Tucker, man, I'd love to see him run for, for president, right? I mean, there's a lot of talk that uh, Tucker's the most important thinker on the right. I think that's ridiculous. He's not really an intellectual. He is someone with the hermeneutics of suspicion, all right? He's suspicious of all the ruling powers and ruling elites, And that's where he's coming from. It's kind of a populist perspective of pure suspicion of everything that we're supposed to believe. He's definitely the most important entertainer on the right, definitely the most important TV or even media personality on the right. He's far more important than any talk show host or other TV pundit or other TV host. He's got a devoted following. And if he ran for president of the United States, I mean, people would, a lot of people would follow him. I think a lot of people would donate money. I mean, how does Tucker not have at least as much of a chance of becoming president of the United States in 2024 as Donald Trump in 2015? Right. So we're a long way away from deciding the Republican nomination. We've got over a year to go. He would be incredible in the debates. All right, it it would just be compelling uh, to see him going up against Chris Christie, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis. My God, I'd uh, I'd love to see that. Okay, I'm only I'm only flesh and blood, so I know you think you know forty is like he's way beyond lust. He he's way beyond the afflictions of ordinary men. He is immune, and one thing that i appreciate about julie hartman is that she usually dresses so modestly but but julie some of these outfits not it's a so a question modest. that
1: plagues me too i have long thought that we are experiencing a crisis of meaning.
0: how could i how could i experience a crisis of meaning and think about belief in god when i'm exposed to this much flesh meaning
1: and this is something that andrew clavin highlighted in his recent book how to save the west
0: I mean, when she was doing all those shows with Dennis, she was just so so modest, all right. But uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to slow this down to 0.25 here. But she's 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 succumbed to the Fox News effect. Like, how am I supposed to concentrate on what she has to say here about trauma dumping? I remember my my therapist would would sometimes dress like this, and then she'd she'd spend much of the the session, like tugging down on her miniskirt, but but really, how am I supposed to think about trauma dumping? How am I supposed to think about God? I, I mean, I try to live a life of light and love, you know. I, I try to, you know, go beyond, you know, all these these tawdry cares and concerns of this fallen world. But it's not easy, all right. When I'm, you know, encountering like Fox News levels of of hotness and i'm I'm trying to tune into timeless with with Julie Hartman and learn about trauma dumping celebrities and younger generations trauma dump right so I always had this picture of her as demure, right? I always thought she was trad. and 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 now I can't look away like I want to talk to you about what's next with Tucker Carlson. But I can't look away. This is coming from the, the Salem network, this evangelical network. And really, I, I'm just supposed to think about trauma dumping and God and goodness and sobriety. I try to live a life that is lust-free, right? And I'm turning my back on hedonism, right? I want to think about the, the timeless issues. But right now, I'm struggling, right? It's probably me. I think I think I'm the bad man here. There's something wrong with me. I'm morally deficient. I've, I've lost the plot. I'm the bad man.
2: Up Reform. And in my experience of Reform Judaism, the concept is basically like, if it makes us feel good, we do it.
0: Wait, come on.
2: <laughs> if it feels good to light the Shabbos candles, we light the Shabbos candles. If it makes us feel superior to go to Shul on Rosh Hashanah, we tell everyone we went to Shul on Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> and if any part of Jewish observance is at all like unpleasant or boring or inconvenient, we bail. We never look back. We tell everyone I'm Jewish. So, what I'm saying is, my experience of Reform Judaism is hedonism. (laughs) It's just hedonism. I'm sure every Reform rabbi loves to hear that. That's rock solid theology. Don't fact check me.
0: Okay, that's, uh, that's pretty good stuff. I grew up, up al- I want Luster. it warm,
2: but clinical. Tall, but claustrophobic. Upholstered, but hard. Duality, it's very Jewish. Color palette is beige, taupe, khaki, ivory, wood, and rainbow. The Gemara does specify it needs to be mid-century modern. For carpet, give me lecture hall. For ceilings, give me lecture hall. For seating, give me lecture hall. And for arc, give me... Opulence. stings on the walls now this is where we shine your options are stained glass or stained glass the cost is exorbitant the vibe is coloring book and most of all it's gonna look expensive as Torah says the shorter your passover seder the fancier your shul it balances out i want it warm but clinical she's T- great so i I'm really big on this, this Crazy comment on Instagram and I realize that not everyone knows what it's like to be a queer Jew. And as a bisexual Malka, uh, I have answers. So what is it like to be a queer Jew? It's hard. People are always quizzing you. Who's the gayest Jew? Solomon. Who's the biggest diva in the Old Testament? Lot's wife. What was Moses's drag name? Tina Commandments. In short, <laughs> queer
0: Jews are welcome in Judaism
2: as long as you bring a babka. But that goes for straight people too. Bring a babka. So I recently got this crazy comment on Instagram and- Hi honeys, how was the camping trip? Oi, these long faces! What happened? Did you get lost? Did you get sunburnt? Did you forget the map? Did you forget the sandwich? Did your father forget the sandwich? I knew he was gonna forget the sandwich. What happened? Did your boots get wet? Did you get bug bites? Did he get mosquito bites? No? Well, what happened? Okay, okay. And? Oh. Oh. What? What? No, you did not. Your father did this? Oh my god. Did you thought they really do this? Oh, my God. Oi! 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 Why? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. uh uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Well, you two must be starving. Hi, honeys. How was the camping?
0: So, this is Sarah welcomes Abraham and Isaac home after their trip up the mountain. I mean, this is some really good stuff here.
2: Based on this conversation with Katie Lang, there's a lot of, <laughs> of drama happening here that's one <laughs> funny. The spider was sent by the Glorious Defense League, they're like, we honestly know what will get done. <laughs> they nailed it. I'm doing responsibility. You to nailed yes. it. Based on
0: this conversation.
2: Okay. I never went to the doctor for my debilitating gastrointestinal illness because I thought the diagnosis was like Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing about being ashkenazi it's like everything hurts all the time but nothing's wrong like we're always ill but we're never sick
0: i thought judaism
2: was garbage i was like there's no pleasure here except i have to say for the utter euphoric transcendence i would feel while singing debbie friedman songs
0: oh yeah i love her
2: <laughs> i yeah. on shabbat
0: oh, yeah, it's like my soul best. left my oh, body <laughs> debbie friedman stop with the music but uh, a lot of people experience pleasure in judaism like a lot of people lost their virginity like at hebrew school or at passover camp uh, a friend of mine got his first uh, blowjob job because he was at this Passover retreat, and he didn't want to play basketball on a Yom Tov, a holy day, so he stayed in, started talking to this girl, and he got his oh, wait, best uh, blood that job. That
2: was a real tangent. Right? <laughs> this is, well, we're having crowd work now.
3: <laughs> and this was when we
2: got Bobs mitzvahed, right we're, around now. Ma-ha. Good, no,
3: that was really worth interrupting my set for <laughs>
2: Commenting on my posts, even though you're a Nazi, in you are supporting Jewish
4: comedy.
0: Thank you for Thank you
2: for... I want to shout out Rabbi Stern for this opportunity because your spiel last year was only so. Obviously, Cantor Rivka for believing in me. I know you were on Israeli Idol, and I want to be you so badly. So, I don't know. Can you help me get an agent? <laughs> Whatever. We'll talk later. Thank you to Haman. That was your cue. You missed it again. Thank you to my ancestors.
0: Yeah, a lot of Jews try to get an agent through there, Rabbi. <laughs> that's pretty common in LA.
2: For making a holiday that's all about performance. Um, I'm I'm available for bar mitzvahs. I want to shout out Rabbi Stern.
0: Good on Rabbi through Stern.
2: accepting limits Cause someone says they're so This is a little low oh, Some things I cannot change But till, till I try Till I try I'll never know Well if that's love It comes at much too high a cost I think I'll try Okay, I might lose followers over this, but I will not be silenced. If your hamantashen are not made with yeasted dough, they are trash. Dry cookies are the real Haman. Big dry cookie has a hold on us all. Truth to power. Okay, I might lose followers. Well, it certainly took you a long time to ask me to do this. I've just been an undiscovered gem in the youth choir since I was six years old. No, but it's good you finally got an actor to do the spiel. Anyway, let's get into it. King Ahashvero, she's also Esther, and she had this amazing singing voice, and she was like, Shalom vale Israel just, That's good in my range, isn't it? And the other thing about Esther is that she's incredibly beautiful, which is why I was casting this role. in <laughs> Israel. It ah,
1: d- ah, is yes, a
2: tree of
1: life
0: for those ü- who won't fast to it. And so
2: the Jews survived so that we could bring beauty and music and entertainment to the whole world. I think I tried to find gravity. Well, it certainly took. Hi, I'm back with another lesson on traditional Jewish music. So, um, today I'm going to teach another Nigun, which is a wordless Jewish melody. Um, this one also is from the Altar Rebbe, so, this is from the 1700s. It's very ancient. Um, and this one is called the Nigun of the Throne. And it goes like this yay yai 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 day yai yai Hi, I'm back with another lesson on traditional Jewish music. So um
0: today I'm gonna to... Wait, that sounds like Game of Thrones. Is that Game of Thrones? Okay. I I I like this girl. I really like this girl. So much to talk about. Yeah, what's Tucker going to do next? Alright, he's already got his uh website changed to, you know, text him, give him your your texting information to find out what he's gonna do next. All right. uh Remember this. There was
5: also in New York, also facing some difficult questions.
0: How do you stay in shape?
3: Do you eat something?
6: Do you have a routine? Do you uh, no,
5: you <laughs> are. <laughs> it's like Nerf Crossfire. <laughs>
7: Welcome back to Crossfire. As both of our loyal viewers, of course, know, how show is all about left versus white, black versus white, paper versus plastic, Red Sox against the Yankees.
5: That's why every day we have two guests with their own unique perspective on the news. But today, Crossfire is very different. We have just one guest. He's either the funniest smart guy on TV or the smartest funny man. We'll find out which in a minute. But he's certainly an Emmy Award winner, the host of Comedy Central's daily show, and the co-author of the new mega bestseller, American.
0: So this is the last time that uh, Tucker Carlson got humiliated. Tucker Carlson's interesting for many things. He's both the most far right and the most uh, far left TV host in America. Of the
5: book, A Citizen's Guide to Inaction, at your bookstores everywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crossfire John Day. Thank,
0: Thank you. Thank you very
5: much. It's very kind of you to say. Now what? Can I say something very good? Cool uh, why, why do we have to fight? <laughs> The two
0: of you, can't we just it say, say something nice about John Kerry right now? Okay, so this is the Washington Post here. An article today before Tucker Carlson's Fox Rise, an on air brawl led to his CNN firing. So he's been fired from about four different uh, TV networks.
1: This news story was written by Timothy Bella. Before Tucker Carlson's Fox Rise, an on air brawl led to his CNN firing. Nearly two decades before he became host of the top-rated show on cable news and one of the most influential voices in conservative media, Tucker Carlson could only give a half-smile and awkwardly laugh when Jon Stewart accused of him of being a D who was hurting the country. Carlson, then known for wearing bow ties and his media presence on PBS and in New York magazine, was one of the featured co-hosts in the rotating cast of liberals and conservatives on CNN's Crossfire a program designed to challenge opinions on the left and right that often turned into hyperpartisan debate. So when Stewart appeared on Crossfire to help promote his new book in October 2004, the comedian, who did not shy away from his disdain for the program, confronted Carlson and co-host Paul Bigala about what Stewart believed were partisan hacks sowing division every afternoon. It's not so much that the show's bad as it's hurting America, Stewart told Carlson and Bigala. Carlson tried to interrupt Stewart, but the comedian held him off and continued, here is what I wanted to tell you guys, stop. Stop, stop, stop hurting America. Stewart added, you have a responsibility to the public discourse, and you failed miserably. Then, as the segment went on, Carlson quipped that he thought Stewart, who was hosting Comedy Central's The Daily Show, was more fun on your show.
0: Okay, let's uh, look at this from back in 2004. I, I like John, I care about John Kerry. And
5: something about President Bush. Uh, he'll be unemployed soon.
8: <laughs> I failed the See, t- I, I made the I'm effort sorry. anyway.
5: No, actually, I knew Bush in Texas a little bit. And the t-
7: truth is, he's actually a great guy. He's not a very good president. But he's actually a very good person. I don't think you should have to hate
5: to uh, oppose somebody, but it you know, makes mm-hmm. it easier. Um, why, why do you argue? <laughs> the two see, of you. you I, <laughs> I hate to see it.
8: <laughs> we enjoy it let me ask you a question well let me ask you a question first alright is John Kerry is John Kerry really the best I mean I think you know John Kerry does not terrible is he terrible the best guy. like he, no, no, I thought
5: the, Lincoln was good is he the best <laughs> the Democrats can do is he the best the Democrats yeah, can this do this year. I'd always thought in a, in a democracy and again I don't know I've, I've only lived in this country um, that there's a process uh, the, what do they call them primaries right? and uh, they don't always go with the best but they go with whoever won so is he the best according to the process
8: right but of uh, of the nine guys running who do you think was best do you think he was the best most impressive
5: uh the most impressive yeah uh i thought al sharpton was very impressive uh i I enjoyed uh uh, his way of speaking i think oftentimes the person that knows they can't win is allowed to speak the most freely and uh, uh because otherwise shows with titles such as Crossfire, crossfire, or hardball, or I'm going to kick your ass, or uh, <laughs> we'll 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 jump on it. It it in, in many ways, it's funny, you know. And, and I I made a special effort to come on the show today because I have uh, privately amongst my friends and also in occasional newspapers and television shows <laughs> mentioned uh, this show as being uh, uh, bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and be and and I wanted to. I felt that that wasn't fair, and I should come here and, and tell you that I don't. It's not so much that it's bad as it's hurting America. (laughs) So I I wanted to come here today and say, here's just what I wanted to tell you guys. Stop. Stop,
0: stop, stop, stop hurting America. Okay, Okay, so this is back in uh, 2004.
1: Just my opinion. What happened next would be one of the turning points in the early part of Carlson's television career. You know what's interesting though? Stewart replied. You're as big AD on your show as you are on any show. The exchange with Stewart has followed Carlson in a career that's seen him go from a conservative talking head with cancelled shows on CNN and MSNBC to the face of Fox News during the Trump years. That changed Monday when Fox announced it had dropped Carlson in a sudden and surprise firing less than a week after the network settled a de-
0: so why did Tucker Carlson get humiliated when Jon Stewart came on his show, and why did Tucker Carlson get humiliated on Monday when he was fired? Because he got out of touch with reality, right? If you understand that what you're doing as a say a TV host is primarily you're an entertainer, and that you're, you're using a lot of shtick, right? Then it's not nearly going to be as humiliating when you go through these ups and downs. But if you have an exaggerated sense of your own importance, uh, then these kind of things will. Well, not just sting, but they will humiliate you, right? If you're in reality, you'll still feel pain, but you won't get humiliated because you don't have this outside sense of your insignificance. Defamation
1: lawsuit from Dominion Voting Systems. As Dominion sued Fox for airing false claims that it had conspired to rig the 2020 presidential election, which resulted in a historic $787.5 million defamation settlement. Carlson's private messages were among thousands of internal communications made public. The lawsuit caused angst and embarrassment for Fox and heightened the company's legal jeopardy. Allegations surrounding Carlson's staff culture and comments about Fox colleagues, as partly revealed in the Dominion case, are.
0: So I don't think Tucker ever forgot this humiliation at the hands of Jon Stewart, and uh, he decided next time that he had an opportunity of hosting a regular show, right? He wasn't going to let it go so easily. Right. Rasta Douthat's got a great column on the realignment in American politics. So the new right is defined by a politics of suspicion. And that's what Tucker Carlson embodies, a politics of suspicion. But unfortunately, he's only suspicious of the establishment. He's not equally suspicious of the dissidents. So I would like to think I strive to be equally suspicious of the dissidents as of the institution. So... The new right, the young right in America, has a deep distrust of all institutions, a comfort with outsider forms of knowledge and conspiratorial theories, hostility toward official mouthpieces and corporate government alliances, a skepticism about American empire, and a pessimism about the American future. These things used to primarily be the province of the left. So Tucker Carlson pulled off something amazing for six years on Fox. He was both the most right-wing and the most left-wing tv host in america right and you wanted to watch this transformation happening right you watched it on tucker carlson's show so behind tucker carlson isn't so much ideology it is suspicion right it used to be a reliable you know talking points republican purveyor used to be you know a reagan republican but after the iraq war after john stewart helped kill crossfire tucker carlson gradually became disillusioned even radicalized. And so you could see the way he wrote about Donald Trump in 2016, and then the way he ran his own show. And uh, he ended up treating the rights election fraud mania with kid gloves. All right. He didn't give it the endorsement some of the Fox hosts gave it, but against his private judgment, he gave it some unwarranted respect. But Tucker Carlson <clears throat> wasn't like the other right wing personalities, such as Mark Levin, who surrendered to Trumpism reluctantly because that's where their listeners wanted them to go. Right, you couldn't maintain a nationally syndicated show on the Salem Radio network as long as you're anti Trump. So Tucker Carlson was a Trumpist only insofar as Trump went where Tucker Carlson himself was heading. Right? But Tucker Carlson's never been, you know, a Sean Hannity fan of Donald Trump. He's much more been anti anti Trump. So Tucker Carlson shares with Donald Trump a rejection of everything. The Western political establishment stands for an extreme open-mindedness towards everything that it rules out of bounds. So that's why Tucker Carlson's show is both the farthest right show on cable news, but also sometimes the farthest left. Right, you can assemble a whole set of Tucker Carlson clips to make him seem like a George W. Bush-era anti-war activist given a primetime show on Fox by some mischievous genie. Right, and you can also assemble a similar, similar array of clips, which Tucker sounds quite left-wing on economics. So any idea with establishment imprimatur, he's got absolute suspicion. For any outsider or skeptic, Tucker has reliably sympathy and trust. Doesn't have to be political or contemporary either. The UFOs, right? He's down for it. the Kennedy assassination, the CIA, right? He pushes that. Now, COVID is a notable example. So Tucker Carlson was willing to issue dire warnings about COVID before anyone else on Fox. Right, he made a pilgrimage to Mar-a-Lago to try to force Donald Trump out of his denial. But once the establishment went all in on COVID restrictions, then Tucker swung all the other way, elevating not just criticisms of shutdowns and vaccine mandates, but started going full anti-vax. So when Tucker was asked recently about his uh, greatest regret, he says defending the Iraq War, and second. I participated in the culture where anyone who thinks outside these prescribed lanes is regarded as crazy, as a conspiracy theorist, and I agree, and I just really regret that. There's always been conservative versions of this kind of paranoid style in right-wing politics. But uh, Tucker Carlson, more than any other cable news host, has found a young audience to supplement the Baby Boomer Foundation that keeps Fox News in business. So Chuck Johnson held a space right on Eric Garland about uh, Fox News Tucker Carlson's departure and uh, come on guys here we go come on man
9: see this is my first ever show back in the day so probably figure this out um it's
0: come uh, on, man this is a professional it, 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 show
9: countless years, and uh, we remember that Tucker Carlson is also the entrepreneur behind the Daily Caller, a, another propaganda rag, uh, and started off in a, in a relatively respectable place, I guess. Uh, he was on CNN, if you remember back in the day, I believe I'm not misremembering, it was John Stewart, um, who uh, we talked to Tucker, was it, I forget if it was with, uh, James Carville or whatnot, um, oh, Begala. and uh, he sort of moved his way up to Fox, where he has uh, kind of gone full hostile intelligence operation. And up and uh, you know that led all the way up to and including um, uh, the January sixth thing. So
0: we're not. So this is what uh, Chuck Johnson has written on his Substack. He says for a while, though I like Tucker, I found it increasingly difficult to defend some of his decisions without recourse to a foreign influence frame. Right? I don't buy this. I so Chuck Johnson says there's evidence that Tucker's been way too close to the Chinese, Likud and Russian intelligence operations. He says, I I personally warned Tucker about this closeness over the years. So Chuck Johnson does have an incredible uh, history of of personal relationships with many of the key players on the right. So Chuck Johnson first met Tucker right after I graduated college, worked as a freelancer for the Daily Caller. Tucker Carlson even blurbed my book on Calvin Coolidge. I more than repaid the favor, even recommended him to Roger Ailes when Ailes asked me if Tucker should have his own show. I said it was time for a WASP to be on national television. At The Daily Caller, Chuck Johnson said, out of falling out with Tucker over how he was extremely close to neocon Jamie Weinstein, who was pushing Likud narratives, made money behind The Daily Caller, Foster Fries, who was an index fund billionaire, was an extremely sketchy guy, especially given his support of Likud and the Kurds. And I went. it was through my brief time at The Daily Caller that I learned before everyone else that Ginny Thomas, all right, Clarence Thomas's white wife, is a nut. And Chuck Johnson says, we could talk about Tucker's ties to Iran-Contra. We could talk about how Tucker wanted to be recruited by the CIA, but was rejected. And Chuck says, I read Tucker's career as wanting to belong, and I sense there's a lot of resentment. Indeed, you see a lot of Gen X resentment in his show, but I think we should look to his mother issues and his deep-seated dislike of women, such as calling various women, such as Sidney Powell, the C-word. Those sentiments are expressed expressed at length in the lawsuit filed by Abby Grossman, former booker and producer for Tucker Carlson, for the sentiments I've heard Tucker express over the years in person on the phone. There's a casual misogyny, which I've always found to be a character defect. There was a kind of gleeful cruelty that I think he really delighted in. I saw how cruel he could be and how he enjoyed building a boys' club of people around him who were one step away from Lord of the Flies. I think that's pretty accurate analysis, Hurt people hurt people. We could even bring up Tucker's mother's mental health issues, how a lot of those issues can be heritable. It must have been rough growing up without a mum. Tucker repaid that by refusing to attend his mother's funeral or to see her on her deathbed. Imagine the kind of pain that must have caused. Think for a moment about how that might have led to some hostility around women generally. Tucker also struggled over the years with substance abuse issues, was part of Alcoholics Anonymous. I think the addiction jumped. I think he became an addict to the fame and despair porn. I'd call it hate porn he featured on his TV show. He made it seem like America was collapsing all the time because I suspect his private world was collapsing all the time. Now he's under constant stress that he was being monitored by multiple foreign and domestic intelligence agencies. I am skeptical of that. Tucker once told me he thought they'd get him in the end and that he was prepared for it. Well, they did get him and he deserved it and he really deserved it. I don't think Tucker will be the last person to lose their career over the way Fox has behaved. So yeah, I think that the Murdochs are getting ready to sell Fox News. And they're cleaning things up for a sale. We see lawsuits moving against the Murdoch Empire in Australia, the United Kingdom, and America. There's a considered rollback of the Chinese Likud-compromised Rupert Murdoch claims. And it's telling that he hired Brian Friedman, the same attorney as Michael Jackson hired. Right, Brian Friedman paid a $40,000 settlement after being accused of gang-raping a 17-year-old in college so who hired brian friedman apparently uh rupert murdoch all right this is chuck johnson on a space here hosted by eric now kind of faced with uh, uh
9: my man jbad says it was paul the gala on the other side with uh john stewart and tucker hold on we're gonna we're gonna put we're gonna boost uh jbad up here because uh that, that was a bit of that was like an original viral type uh video um where john john stewart said please media I know I have a contract with Viacom that ends up being enormously problematic down the line, but please, CNN, stop hurting us! Help us! And we all, uh, for those of us who, who like that kind of thing, it just seemed so very nice and gentle and um, and uh, moderate, didn't it? Um, and, and John Stewart, of course, helped liberal types through the, the Fox, or sorry, the, through the Iraq War period, the post-9/11 world of you know letting out some of the pressure there um, and uh, helping us feel better about it. And then he goes on and just. Just begs us. carefully okay, we could have better media, and um, you know, it, it's it's just very interesting that all all, all the media back then in two thousand four five six seems uh, quite a bit more gentle in retrospect. Um, and here we have uh, in the sort of that twenty year period, it reached.
0: Yeah, well, why does the media seem more gentle back then, right? Because america's become more divided, right? The media largely reflects America more than it shapes. Uh,
9: you know, a pretty intense apotheosis with the uh, with the election of Donald Trump. And uh, then got crazier from there, uh, you know, went from the absurd right up to the, uh, the downright.
0: So Eric and uh, Chuck wanted to know why Tucker was afraid to do negative stories about Israel. Treasonous
9: and, uh, and um, seditious. And so we have been living in this uh, period after the seditious conspiracy of 2020. We're three plus years hence. And we have another election coming up next year. And I think we're all starting to take stock just as the, the criminal prosecutions wind their way uh, through all this um Bad, if you want to join as a speaker i think i i think i invited or are you actually uh john is uh is a, a very busy man most of the time um let's, uh, let's. The, the head of universal apparently grabbed a butt and he's gone because you ever notice when anybody connected to like a hostile intelligence thing like gets it gets close to the fire there and then somebody always grabbed a butt at the word. And it's not that men are committing, uh, you know, sexual harassment all over the place. They of course are, especially at the upper levels. Um, of course, you know, these are just allegations. But it's just very interesting to me whether it's the Washington Redskins slash Commanders when they start closing in on Dan Snyder, whose real, really interesting set of activities for me, of course, this is how my brain works, was uh, them like installing Huawei gear right uh, in in the stadium. Uh, for the, the the Washington Redskins, because you know, letting the letting Chinese intelligence put surveillance equipment in a place where there's guaranteed to be federal employees, there's nothing nothing troublesome about that. And then out of nowhere, uh, you know, all of a sudden, up oh, he's grabbing butt. Dan Dan's grabbing butts at work. He grabbed a butt. Um, then they get into the finances, and then maybe the counter espionage stuff like, uh, oh, oh,
10: we have uh, Mr. Charles Johnson here. So we're inviting him in here. With Rupert Murdoch's obvious relationships with Chinese intelligence officers, it you know it raises some questions about how deep and, and how long these uh, Chinese esp- espionage operations have been going on in our discourse. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, we Westerners are, are often not taught uh, the extent to which China thinks in centuries and not, you know, first quarter profits. And so 30 years is nothing to these guys.
9: I mean, tr- so we had we had the Chinese secret police stations, uh, you know, which has been coming out slowly and now very rapidly. But we, the, the, we had the Russian spy cell in St. Louis, where I'm sitting tonight, of course, um, and uh, we've got Mr. Charles Johnson here, who was just called mentally ill earlier for talking about hostile and foreign intelligence stuff. I have been called mentally ill officially here in St. Louis by the uh, the institutions, though that hasn't worked out so good for him.
10: By um, the way, public service announcement, everybody check your hinges at the door to join this space.
9: This is a hinge-free space. Hinge-free zone. Uh, hin- hinges will be confiscated. We only have, uh, you must be a hinge-free conspiracy analyst to join the space. Um, I must say, whenever somebody calls me conspiracy theorist,
7: I personally kind of love the term because I always want to say something like, no, bitch, I'm a, th- a conspiracy practitioner. Yeah. <laughs> Like I- I'm doing the conspiracy, you know, like uh, the conspiring or whatever. And you're, you're always just like, when you talk to these people, it's like, oh, that sounds a little crazy. And it's like, well, yeah, because you've been deliberately miseducated for all these years about these relationships. And, you know, earlier when I was in the Mario space, I was like, listen, like I've met Tucker Carlson. I've known him for, I guess I first met him in 2011. So it's been like 12 years. I met Rupert Murdoch. I actually, he gave me an award in 2011. So like, these are not like people I just sort of like casually have met, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's so, I don't know, it's just, it's very frustrating, because I think people don't want to have the conversation about how much of the commanding heights of our society is invested and backed by different foreign intelligence agencies, mm-hmm. and how many people have kind of compromise on them, and that that compromise is triggered either by the U.S. deep state, which tries to compromise people back, or it's it's compromise that's triggered on them by...
0: Okay, what's, what's the evidence for this? That's my question.
7: ...by the intelligence services when they need to move people out of the way. Now, with Tucker... You know, for me, like, I, you know, if you don't mind, I can kind of go back and talk about like how I first met him and like what was the context and everything. Yeah. Uh, man. All right. So, so I have known the. So I first met Tucker Carlson's father before I met him, and his father uh, was like heavily engaged in kind of like Republican-related stuff in San Diego. But Tucker, I think, spent some time in now, that. This point is back. this is Dick Carlson, right? This is Dick Carlson. That's right.
9: And where did Dick Carlson work? Where who did he work for uh, before whatever he was doing? Was yeah. He, so he he had, he's ambassador. had a number.
7: He's had a number of, of jobs. He had a job working as uh, an executive at a bank that ultimately got shut down for all kinds of controversial shady money stuff going on with, uh, with minorities. He was the head of voice of America's um, sort of Cuban operations. He was ambassador to the Seychelles. And I just tweeted this just a second ago. Somebody sent this to me and I I checked that this is real. Um, So this is Tucker Carlson and Iran contra, uh, which is also kind of interesting. So, so basically what happened was I was working for Andrew Breitbart, Um, Andrew Breitbart dies. His widow asked me at his funeral to stay on you know uh, by the way died very suddenly very suspiciously and very suddenly hmm. he dies i go and I'm, I'm at the funeral rebecca mercer's there matt Drudge is there wow. there's like all kinds of like who's who of like people who become important
9: later and, and what year was this this was 2012 this okay. was 2012
7: and tucker carlson um some of his people had reached out to me about coming to write for the daily caller which i think tucker started up i forget exactly what date it was but he started up with some money from foster freeze who we can get into later the, the deceased foster freeze who by the way whose fbi file you can't get it's like one of those things that's like very suspicious and weird. And he was like some dude supposedly based in Wyoming doing index fund stuff. But he was obsessed with Israel and the, and the Kurds of all people. But anyway, so uh, Tucker like, was like, hey, man, why don't you come? Why don't you come work for me? And I was like, well, you know, I, I made this commitment. Uh, I want to see it through. But my contract allows me to take stories that like Breitbart wouldn't publish. I can take those stories and run them wherever. So that's exactly what I started to do. Joel Pollack kept blocking a lot of my stories at Breitbart. So I would just take them hmm. and publish them at the Daily Caller. And uh, I had a deal negotiated with the Daily Caller where I would get paid basically like a penny a click. So then what I did was I went over to the Judge people and like gave, started giving them all the links to my stories so that I could just like make, you know, make all this money from all the traffic from that. And, uh, and so anyway, so that was like 2011, or that was like 2012, 2013 period. Anyway, Tucker is like, hey, we'd love you to be a part of this. They offer me this like $38,000 a year contract that's like extremely onerous. And I'm like, why don't I just stay as a freelancer? Why don't we just do that? But there'd be some days where I would have like the top 10 stories because Drudge would link to them. And at one point, I was something like 40, 45% of the total traffic at the Daily Caller. So naturally, this got like a lot of people being like, who the fuck is this guy? What's going on here? Tucker and I became more and more friendly as
0: Okay, so I don't think uh, Chuck Johnson is exaggerating by that much, right? Let, let's say he's exaggerating by a factor of, of you know, two, right? He is a very bright, very connected man, who I think is frequently wrong. But uh, this isn't just total BS on his part here, all right? This is reflecting something real. As
7: time went on. You know, he, he tends to stay up late. We would text back and forth. I was living in California at the time. Uh, he when he come at, when he came out to California, we'd stay at these very nice hotels. I'd go have breakfast with him or chat with him. Um, he uh, you know, we sort of talked a lot about San Diego stuff. Given
0: so, I was pretty friendly with uh, Andrew Breitbart from about uh, 2003 till 2007, and then I, I stayed in touch with him after that. And uh, Andrew was always eager to try to get out from under Matt Drudge's uh, shadow. All right. So Andrew's gotten started in, in news media, working for, for Matt Drudge, but he really badly wanted to do his own thing. And he was thinking of producing a documentary, writing a book, He had all these different plans. And then he finally got going with Breitbart, made quite a success of it. And as far as him dying suspiciously, uh, Andrew certainly lived to excess. And so if there's some kind of, you know, addictive problem going on with Andrew, it wouldn't, would not have shocked me.
7: The family connections there? Um, And then we started started talking a bit more about, like, the Israel stuff. And Tucker warned me, like, don't go there on talking about the Israelis. Don't go there with the Likud stuff. And Mm. and I I was like, well, you know, like, I think this stuff's important, so I'm going to talk about it. And, like, if you don't want me to work with you, well, I'll just start my own thing. I'll do my own thing. And um, he was kind of, like, upset but also kind of appreciated that. Um, As time went on, you know, people would call me for, like, reference checks on Tucker. Uh, Tucker blurred my book on Kelvin Coolidge, uh, which came out, I guess, 10 years ago.
0: And uh, Mickey Kaus had a regular column for The Daily Caller until Tucker censored it for criticizing Fox News. He told Mickey, you can't criticize Fox News because Tucker just started out as a pundit on Fox News circa 2007. So Mickey uh, quit working for The Daily Caller.
7: Years ago now. Ooh. And so, you know, he w- we were friends. You know, we would text back and forth. Now, Roger Ailes was, uh, you know, the head of Fox uh, who died. First he was kicked out of Fox and then he died. But Roger Ailes called me about two months before he was kicked out of Fox and asked me what I thought of Tucker Carlson having a show on Fox. And I said, that would be great. I think it's about time that Fox has a wasp uh, on TV. And that, like, that would be a groundbreaking thing to have a wasp on public, you know, on on, on the major network news, because they're all basically Jews and Catholics. And he started laughing, and he realized that that was kind of true. And then Tucker, you know, had had his TV career. He sort of, like, was slated to go into that position. And then when Rupert Murdoch was traveling with Jerry Hall and sort of out of reach, the, uh, the people, the you know, Lachlan and James, fired Roger Ailes. Uh, ostensibly, it was over all the sexual harassment stuff going on at Fox. I'm not sure. I think it was kind of more of a power play. I mean, it's not to say that Ailes didn't run his mouth. He did run his mouth all the time. But he was a, you know, he was a hemophiliac. Uh, he was extremely close to his wife, Liz Ailes. It's hard to imagine that, he, you know, he was a
0: huge guy. And uh, the Murdochs, like uh, many employers, right, they don't want anyone overshadowing them. And so when Roger Ailes became too big, they were glad to cut him off at the knees and fire him, just... Like they did with Glenn Beck, like they did with Bill O'Reilly, like they've just done with Tucker Carlson. I, like
7: he looked like he was falling apart physically. It's hard to imagine that he was like running around, you know, banging everyone. Um, but in any event, he he goes, he leaves, you know, the, the kind of situation that we're in, or he basically gets kicked out, and then he falls down and like bleeds out and dies in a very suspicious kind of circumstances. And
9: then, mm.
7: um, and his widow Liz Ailes and I have sort of corresponded, you know, over the years. She's a very nice lady, but basically, the the long and short of it is that Fox, with the with the, the death of its dictator, um you know, essentially becomes a kind of anarchic kind of place. And what happens is that all of the talent renegotiates their contracts so that they have creative control. They have all this autonomy. And what used to happen was Ailes would watch all the shows. He actually had a TV in his office. Oh, I'll never forget this. He had a TV in his network, or he had several TVs in his office of every single major network um, in the world. Like, he had, like, he had like you know, BBC was there, uh, MSNBC was there, CNN. Uh, I think Al Jazeera was playing one time when I visited him. And he would sit there, and the, the sound would be off, but the captions would be on. And he told me that... um that he loved to watch TV with the sound off. And he said, if you have a favorite movie, you should watch the movie with the sound off because you can tell if somebody's a good actor by virtue of like the sound, you know, basically.
0: Yeah, that's uh, one of his tips that he reveals in his book, You Are the Message, which is a pretty good book. A lot of good stuff there on how to communicate effectively.
7: If they're conveying the emotion without the sound, you know that they, they do good work.
0: And then, he- So Tucker, if there was one thing that got Tucker cut, fired, it may well have been his former producer, Abby Grossberg. And you look at her, she just does not seem like a very happy news, woman. I was
3: starting to get these texts come in from friends, and it just said, a few words at Tucker Carlson. I thought, okay, maybe it was the 60 Minutes episode that they're talking about, and I started to write back, oh, yeah, I saw the Epps thing. This is terrible. I was there while we were doing this kind of coverage, and they said, no, he's fired. And it was literally, what, are you sure?
0: Because obviously... So if you hire an employee, someone who's aggrieved and, and unhappy and... You know, miserable, right? She's very likely to make your life a living hell. Like, who is more likely to make your life a living hell? Like a female employee or a male employee, right? So, civil rights legislation, which forces you to hire from all sorts of diverse groups, it destroys camaraderie in the workplace. But I mean, you really don't want to hire unhappy, miserable, resentful people. And I don't know, Abby Grossberg but she certainly gives off that vibe.
3: You know, I'm at the center of a lot of this and it felt surreal. And there were a lot of mixed emotions that went through my head. There were feelings at first like, yes. And then also the reality that-
0: And her argument that uh, Tucker Carlson made her life a living hell. Well, if Tucker Carlson made her life a living hell, why wouldn't she just quit? Right, she, you know, hung on. if if it was such a living hell so can't me somewhat skeptical you don't
3: want anything bad to happen to anybody but at the same time tucker and his executive producer justin wells who was also fired really were responsible for breaking me and making my life a living hell so there is a feeling of justice but it's only partial why did you go work for him I was working with Maria Bartiromo at the time. I knew as a female that I would never get the executive producer title there working on that show. The opportunity came up to go to Tucker and it was a promotion. I would be overseeing it. Like,
0: who would hire someone with this kind of you know, angry, depressed, uh, mean, th- this kind of physiognomy?
3: Team. I would also be overseeing three different platforms. and. I liked the, ta- the staff, honestly, when I interviewed with them, and I was hoping that it would be more professional, and what he was portraying on air was just-
0: Why on earth would she think that, you know, the Tucker Carlson crowd would be more professional? Right? Uh, this does not ring true. ...show,
3: and unfortunately that wasn't the case. So when do you realize that? Immediately. I show up, first day of work, and I know that this is a popular one. It's been widely publicized. There are literally pictures like this big of Nancy Pelosi in a bathing suit
0: in Europe. Plastic- and so what, how how exactly, you know, is that making your life a living hell? I mean, if that offends you, right? If that disturbs you, if that makes you unhappy, then there's something wrong with you.
3: All over. Um, there was even one on my computer screen for the temporary computer I had to use and I had to take it down just to work. Um, Within a few days, I was called into Justin Wells' office with Alex McCaskill, who was a senior producer as well, and asked if Maria was having an affair with Kevin McCarthy.
0: And why exactly is that a trauma to to be asked that? It seems like a normal kind of human interaction. What Abby Grossberg has a problem with is humanity, like normal human interactions, laughter.
3: It was just, I was shocked. I couldn't even believe it. I was floored.
0: I mean, who would hire her? Who would want to set themselves up to be sued and have her make your life a living hell?
4: Let's go through some of what you allege in in your lawsuit. It is this culture of misogyny. How did that manifest in a more personal way? I'm tough.
3: I have a thick skin, obviously. <laughs> Having been through all I've been through in the last...
0: Doesn't sound like it. It sounds to me like you've got a very thin skin. You're a prima donna. And uh, you have a problem with just uh, you know normal human interactions.
3: Last month, but... It's hard to take day in and day out, which is a big part of why I'm...
0: If it was so hard to take, why didn't you quit like, uh, like a normal, honorable person? I guess you saw the possibility of a really good payday by wreaking lawfare, by going to war through the legal process.
3: Ugh. I'm speaking out now to let people know that it's not okay and the impact of bullying when it's done day after day after day. And very quickly, I spoke out.
0: Wow, she put up with it for day after day after day and kept working there. I mean, she's willing to sell out everything. Like, she has no dignity.
3: For example, early on, they had Andrew Tate on the show. And I raised my hand and I said, We have to be very mindful that this is two white males together. And I used the example of Gail King and R. Kelly, saying that she could go in a different direction with that interview, that I felt Tucker couldn't.
0: And they. Oh, because Tucker's white and Andrew Tate is white. Therefore, being white has some essential characteristic that uh it's very dangerous for two white people to talk to each other
3: they weren't happy about that because they wanted it to be a bro fest they were all laughing about how fun
0: it would be. and what's wrong with a bro fest right estrogen fest is is great right like the view what's wrong with a bro fest Ugh.
3: Be, to go to Romania and hang out with him They liked his messaging So whenever I said something like that It put a target on my back And gradually I was shut out of meeting
0: Obviously she was a terrible fit for the Tucker Carlson show But she insists on Penetrating it anyway And leaking her estrogen all over the place I mean it sounds like a real mood killer I would not like to work with this woman Things I was mocked I was eventually Oh my god she was mocked Right any dudes you know hang out with other dudes they're constantly being mocked
3: demoted that's how it played out for me and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse every time i spoke out
4: what was your experience with anti-semitism
3: it, it's interesting because i've never experienced it in my life until now it was nothing i ever really thought of and it started
0: okay that's significant all right so this is not someone who just cries wolf Right. If she, she says that she's never experienced anti-Semitism in her previous 40-plus years on the planet, that's interesting.
3: Sort of around the holiday period, we, I had a colleague who was Israeli, and they do this thing with HR where you become this global ambassador for Fox for the show and you get $10,000 essentially to represent the program as a diversity ambassador, and the whole staff was white. So they recommended that he be that person because Israelis and Jews are minorities. And they first suggested it in a meeting, and then they brought it to him. Uh, I think he was shocked. And they said he could use that money to buy pizza for the whole staff for a year. Now, I know HR claims they did an investigation, and they said that some of these things were said, but the feelings about it in the office were different than me. Who said, but they weren't offended.
0: Wow, that's hilarious. I mean, that's incredible anti-Semitism. The guy was given $10,000. And it was suggested that he buy pizza for the staff. I and mean, that's hellacious anti-Semitism. Man, how this woman has suffered.
4: What is it about the culture at Tucker? Because, listen, as someone who covers him and cover covers him as a force that threatens democracy until Friday night. Um...
0: Oh, Tucker threatens democracy. How exactly does Tucker threaten democracy? Tucker is for stopping American citizens from, from voting. I mean... Does she even know what democracy is? How exactly does Tucker threaten democracy?
4: It falls in this category of shocking, not surprising. What was for you, as someone inside Fox, shocking about the culture
3: at Tucker coming from Maria's show? It was very out in the open. What you see is what ends up on air. People are believers.
0: Oh, so the the culture of Tucker's show behind the scenes is what you see on the air
3: who are there, I was really, I found it difficult to cover the kind of stories that they wanted me to cover. I wasn't expecting it. Maybe I should have. That's what some people say.
0: Oh, so, I mean, who Tucker Carlson is is pretty obvious. His show is uh, pretty clear. So she was upset that Tucker Carlson turned out to be Tucker Carlson and that his show off the air was very similar to his show on the air, right? Not exactly a convincing Tom's story here, say,
3: but for example, um, right toward the end of my time there, when the January 6th tapes were coming out, Tucker was very set on finding an FBI person who was implanted in the crowd and spinning this conspiracy that they were ultimately the ones responsible for the Capitol attack, not Fox News, as they're about to go into the Dominion trial, that it was really, you know, the FBI that set up this thing, not Fox telling the American people that the election was rigged and the voting machines did it. And when I went back to them, and said, look, there's no conspiracy theory here. I called this attorney that's representing one of the Proud Boys, and he flat-out told me on two occasions, there is no conspiracy. Get away from this stuff. This is dangerous. Tell Tucker to stop. I'll come on your show and represent my client, but I absolutely will walk off if he asks me this. And the response was, well, find somebody else. Tucker is really intent on this. And that wore my mental health, too, because by that time, I had really begun to connect the dots, that the programming.
0: Why would this wear on your, your mental health? I mean... I I agree with m- most or many of the criticisms of Tucker Carlson. I, I don't say that his show was just unabashedly a thing for good. There were some good things about the show. There were some terrible things about the show. And I agree with her critiques here of the January 6th documentary.
3: That we were putting on the air every night was not just generating business, but also generating hatred in the audience. and. At-
0: Yeah, there's just a lot of crap that uh, Tucker Carlson was pushing because his audience wants to hear that.
3: After January 6th, I had this wake up moment that this is hurting people. People are getting angry and people are acting out on that anger and this is not okay. And I don't want to be part of that.
0: Yeah. So Donald Trump did ferment January 6th and Fox News played a role in fermenting January 6th. But in the final analysis, it was the rioters who have the majority of the responsibility.
4: I guess some people who have kept an eye on what he's done would say that you might have known that before, right? You go to work for Tucker in 2022? Yes. In so, so what is it about? I mean, do you, do you feel like, and I want to ask you about the tapes. I mean, did he ask you guys to look through the tapes looking for Mr. Epps? Is that what you're suggesting or other FBI informants?
0: Why did Tucker stop uh, revealing information from those previously unseen tapes? He, he showed a little bit, and then he stopped.
3: I was not part of the team that looked through the tapes I prior. My story is long, but um, I had been on an emergency medical leave due to the abuse that took place on that show.
0: Emergency medical leave due to the abuse. I haven't heard anything that remotely sounds to me like abuse.
3: So when I came back, they knew I had legal representation, so was not including me in the viewing of the tapes. But they were having me just look for a lawyer of a Proud Boy that was willing to say that there were FBI informants infiltrating the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. And none of them are. Not that I could find, no.
0: Oh, come on. Of course there's law enforcement infiltrating the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers.
4: I want to go back to what causes some of your stress i think it is around your
3: dominion deposition can you take us through those events so following the 2020 election people started reaching out in early
0: so i, I do have some empathy for her because when you join tucker carlson's show you're joining a show that is you know pushing irresponsible you know, factually dubious assertions it's it's a show devoted to giving people what they want andrew morant wrote a critique of tucker carlson today for the new yorker and he makes the point, everything he watches of Tucker's is just incredibly entertaining, that Tucker is a great writer, a very skilled communicator. But so much of what he pushes is absolutely you know, bogus, low IQ, dumb, and often dangerous stuff, such as his anti-vaccine push.
3: Late 2021 for informal meetings about our workflow, um, that went on for about a year. In early 2022, we had a meeting where they said that we're going to want to take both of your phones and take an image of them, which is scary. Uh, that made me hold them up, show that it was forever, that I was saving all my texts. They said, you're only going to need them from October through March. I said, I have personal stuff on um, personal phone. Oh, don't worry. We don't want any of that. Um, but it was still, remember, I was like sick that day But they took the phones. I also said to them at that point, I have this old company phone. I used it through the whole period, screen smashed, got rid of it in April 2021. Do you want that? Nah, just keep it for safekeeping. So I turned over my devices in March. Uh, in June, I had a second meeting where I was summoned to Fox, and they kind of scrolled through my phones and asked if I had a Signal app, which I deleted simply because Marie and I used it for about a week, didn't really take, got rid of it. I'm a little type A. Obviously, I keep the things very organized. If I don't want it, I get rid of it. And I said to them, this seems really serious. Where is this going? What are you going to need from me? Oh, you might be deposed, but it's going to be no big deal. Fox is going to win this slam dunk. July, I find out I'm going to be deposed. Scared to death, <laughs> obviously. Um, walk in there in August. I, I believe the date was August 10th.
0: Why would you be scared to death? Why not just tell the truth?
3: For my first session with Winston Strawn and the Fox attorneys, first thing I say when I walk in, Maria at this point, um, going back, has told me that she's hired her own representation who has copies of all of our text messages and emails. So the first thing I say out of the gate is, Maria has her own attorney. Do I need one? No, 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 no. They just, they complicate things. You know, Steve Ducey had one. He was in a few days ago, and they feel like they need to earn their keep, so they just ask questions to um, make money. It just complicates the process. No
0: can I take notes? And that's probably true. So there's more to it than that. No. (laughs) So I'm
3: given this, no need, no need, no big deal. And they tell, give me the speech about how, um, with this slam dunk first amendment case, the whole thing is so stupid. Um.
0: Yeah. When you're an employee, all right, you're an instrument for your employer. You are effectively a slave of your employer for 40 hours a week. Also employers don't want to be embarrassed by what their employees do off hours. So. That's often going to, you know, influence your whole life when you take a job, right? I
3: say, am I in trouble? No. Uh, I get this big binder about that big black with all of these exhibits of text messages, my LinkedIn page. I mean, it looks quite serious Mm -hmm. to me. And we start going through it and they start coaching me. Now, when I'm in there, I decide this is an opportunity to talk about some of the chauvinism and problems I've been having on Sunday Morning Futures. Let me get it on the record with the Fox attorneys. I think that's important because I didn't want to go to HR. And trust them, to be honest. So this is a way of me setting a record with Fox. So I start telling them these things very, very early on. And it seemed like they had a plan, and I screwed it up. It's not what they wanted to do. What hear. was their plan? They wanted... They were expecting me to, I think... they flat out said we expected you to be best friends with Maria and we were very close but by that point we were disagreeing on the integrity of the election um and what had taken place in 2022 and some other theories that she had and there was definitely tension um And there are records of that. And there are records of all of that. Uh, I had been asked to spy on her by the Fox bosses and report back on what she was doing, which caused a lot of stress. And that was part of the reason I went to Tucker as well. I just physically and emotionally couldn't take it. And when I go back and listen to some of those tapes now that I have, I hear the stress in my voice and how depleted I was. So you
4: spied on Maria for your Fox bosses?
3: Yes. Um, I had not spied. I would tell them what she was doing if there were things that concerned me. Spy is the wrong word that I had handled in the past myself because we had a good relationship and can work it out together. I reported those things because I became very paranoid about my job because I had been shaken down by multiple executives at the company.
0: Okay, here's uh, another excerpt. It was different.
3: And as a text that came out revealed my suspicions, um, he was looking for ratings bait purely uh, and was also looking for power. It was a combination of ratings and power and manipulating the audience. Um, And manipulating also the political system, there was an aspect of, I can pick who the House Speaker is. I can pick who the President of the United States is or who the Republican candidate's going to be. And I thought that was really dangerous and didn't want that kind of power. I didn't want to have um, Senate candidates calling me and being very upset, are you going to destroy our whole campaign tonight? Because he could do that. And he would call and tell them that, that if you don't... participate or you don't come on the show we will destroy you and I was told to tell that to congressmen sometimes and I didn't how can I that was disrespectful so in addition to the misogyny and the sexism and the anti-semitism there was also just this sort of moral growth with me where I reached a breaking point because of all of those things and I literally did not want to do it anymore it felt disgusting I stopped watching news when I came home I didn't watch anything I just didn't want to because I was so depressed and disillusioned by the entire media system because of Tucker Carlson.
0: Okay, so that, that does ring true. When when people have some success, they like to throw their, their power around. Okay, I think she's she's probably telling the truth there. Right, here's more from Tucker Carlson. He asked me,
7: um, why is it that Fox is successful one day? And I was just like, well, I don't know, like, you guys, you know, you know, something like fifty percent of the country is conservative. You're the only game in town, you know, and so on. And he's like, "No, it's because we film your high school experience. We have Bill O'Reilly, who's the principal, oh. megan Kelly, the approachable <laughs> blonde." And he just like went through this and he explained, we "Film your high school experience." Yeah, he was wow. like, "That's what we really do: is we create a, a simulacrum of high school," and you know, and he said, "And we also have the most attractive women on TV, and we have uh, bold, bright colors. So like, if you watch Fox, you know, mm-hmm. you'll see it's like red and blue, it's like primary colors kind of thing." And he had this, um, so he had this, anyway. So he had this whole analysis of, like, how TV works. And he gave me a copy of this book, You Are the Message, which is basically about, like, how to create, you know, Fox News personalities, which I highly recommend people read. Um, Apparently, it's a book that Donald Trump used to swear by, too, for what it's worth. But anyway, so Tucker gets the show. You know, I'm elated that Tucker's gotten the show. I recommend a number of people for him to hire. I'm friendly with a number of his producers. I take some of them out to dinner. You know, I sort of do the usual, like, you know, glad-handing DC thing. I recommend guests. Um, And then Tucker does a show one time, uh, you know, basically attacking Paul Singer the uh, the hedge fund kind of oligarch mm. and i text him well because I'm, I'm actually in a hotel room i don't have tv at my house just because it's too distracting so when i travel i'll occasionally just like put on fox or whatever see what's going on and anyway i was in a hotel room and i texted tucker like during the commercial break like dude i'm afraid of paul singer like you should not do this segment and he then reads my text on air uh that like you know somebody said to him that he's afraid of paul singer and to be careful of those shows uh i then sort of like you know slink down and I'm like, you know, you shouldn't have shared my text on air. Like, that's kind of crazy. But then I realized, like, there's probably a bunch of people in his phone texting him, sharing things with him or whatever. And I warned him about Arthur Schwartz, who's this sort of like weird figure that's connected with the Zionist Organization of America, which is a group that the FBI has wanted to register as a foreign agent uh, of Israel uh, many times. There's always been sort of internal fights. Within these...
9: Sorry, that who, that, that who did they uh,
7: want to the, Zionist Fight Organization for? of America, or ZOA. And ZOA was heavily backed by Sheldon Adelson.
9: Oh. Yeah. It's the sort of ZO. The sort of, yeah, they, they, they go all the way back to, they, they got in trouble with the military for, like, trying to get in, like, trying to uh, basically recruit agents within the U.S. military. I think as far back as, like, 1950. Oh, yeah, they go back. The I mean,
7: they've basically never not been in trouble with the DOJ.
9: They've been, like, they've been, like,
7: around, I think, for, like, 100 years, and they've always gotten in trouble in one way or another. But they're massively backed by a number of these, like, uh, Chinese-Israeli-connected, you know, American oligarchs. Um, they're huge supporters of people like, uh, you know, like George Santos, like Kevin McCarthy. They're very much, like, shot callers hmm. intra-Republican Party. And so anyway, I warned uh, Tucker about him and Tucker started to believe that there were a number of these like Chinese, Russian, Saudi spies, uh, you know, Israeli spies around him and that he was sort of afraid. And he would ask me questions um, about like this person or that person. And I would tell him like very candidly, I was like, well, you know, we should probably talk in person because all of our phones are monitored. And I told him about Pegasus basically a year before the Pegasus story broke. And he texted me back the Pegasus story and he just replies back, what the fuck? (laughs) I've always thought about that. What the fuck moment? Because it's clear to me that, like, there are a bunch of countries in his phone. And when... what, what year was this? this? Was, I want to say this was 2018. Wait, who was, who was surprised by this? Tucker. Was he missing a lobe of his brain? Seriously? I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think he probably, I think some of these guys genuinely think that they're, like, not that important. They're just entertainers. They're just people on TV. I don't know. Like, Hannity is genuinely stupid. But Hannity knows the score with the Israelis. Like, he's very mm-hmm. friendly with a lot of them. They're very friendly with him. He's very connected with, like, the Bernie Marcus world uh steve hantler that whole crew that's kind of what his thing is and sean's bossing there no No, sean Sean is uh i believe he's of new york heritage but then moved down he got his start in atlanta back when he was a liberal on radio so i love he's very very plugged in to uh to uh who's that guy jay uh it'll come to me the guy who's the jewish guy who represents all the evangelicals uh yes he's very close to jay secklow and uh and he introduced me to jay Sekolo at one point um and there's all these like strange characters around around uh sean hannity And in particular, they let him borrow the the Adelson plane. You know, he owns all these helicopters. He's had this like very strange existence over the years. Um, And so what happens basically is that each of these Fox News talents, they get people around them feeding them stories, being sources for them that are often intelligence assets of other countries. Now, it should be noted that Dick Carlson, Tucker Carlson's father, is now a lobbyist, I believe, for the Hungarian government. And, you know, Tucker's had, you know, Orban on his show. Um, Tucker's also had Bukele on the show as well. There's some sort of weird connection there that I don't fully understand. Uh, through the lobbyist corps but what started to happen was a number of these hold, hold yeah. on
9: charles just so people are, are tracking that's Viktor orban who's the very pro-russia and to a degree pro-china president of hungary and Nayib bukele who is the president of el Salvador, who's essentially a, a wholly owned asset of the sinaloa cartel Fair to yeah, say? Uh,
7: well ms-13 maybe the sinaloa cartel too but... yeah. No. yeah so okay. um and those are some interesting i mean having ms-13's guy on your tv program is
9: pretty darn interesting
7: well what's started to become clear is you know there's a number of these guys who've risen to prominence many of them gen xers you know i don't want to like be mean or whatever but it is a thing where they kind of like don't really get the geopolitics or they don't want to get the geopolitics right they want to be like independent man right they want to just do their thing and like you know they want to be critical of like you know the right the left the whatever you know don't try to pigeonhole me man that's kind of the attitude and tucker is very much in keeping with that kind of tradition and so he uh has been very skeptical
0: So uh, Greg Price on Twitter says, a source who's a former Fox News employee tells me that Abby Grossberg never once met Tucker Carlson during her time as his booker. She worked out of the Fox New York City office while Tucker spent all of his time in his home studios in Maine and Florida. That uh, mysteriously goes unmentioned in media coverage of her.
9: And very hostile. So. So despite his father being a guy who was involved in the, like, propaganda operations that would target a communist dictatorship that was, you know, a hotbed of KGB partnership, he likes to believe that he's an independent guy and not part of a giant global spy
10: war.
7: That's right. And if you understand it, so this is important to understand as well, which is, so Tucker, um, you know, so Tucker's father had had a very difficult life. Um, and if you, you know, if you go on the
0: Wikipedia page. And more from uh, Greg Price's Twitter. So Tucker Carlson had dinner with Rupert Murdoch and his then-fiancée, who would have been his fifth wife at 92 years of age in late March of this year. And so Rupert's fiancée called Tucker a messenger from God. A few days later, Rupert Murdoch dumped her, and then he fired Tucker from his network a month later. So did Rupert Murdoch fire Tucker because he talked about religion too much and was his ex-fiancée's favorite host?
7: and you read it for yourself, you can kind of see that there's a lot of issues there. And indeed, Tucker himself, I believe his mother just like ran away from the family because like, she had like mental health issues. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm always leery to be like, oh, so-and-so is crazy or whatever. But I will tell you in the 12 years that I've known Tucker, he's gotten more and more erratic, more and more paranoid and more and more like unstable, you know, just like in conversation. Like uh, I remember having a conversation with him at one point where I was like, you know, like, if you're not careful, like, people are going to get you, like, you're going to get destroyed, like, you have to be careful about the types of people you have on your show, because, like, the U.S. government is not going to tolerate this, and he's, and he just replied back, I fully expect them to destroy me at some point, and I was just like, mm. oh, so this is a suicide thing, like, that's what's going on here, and, uh, and after that, I sort of stopped messaging him, because I didn't really want to participate in that, for obvious reasons.
9: Mm. So, if somebody is, like, being willfully blind about what they've been up to, then these kinds of... You know, th- these are major psychological shocks when they begin to when it begins to come into view what's happening. I mean, if somebody's in, in the year 2018, you know, when they are a major mouthpiece on you know Fox News, if they're surprised to hear that they're being surveilled because they're inconsequential, I mean, that's a pretty heavy level of denial. I mean, I think ignorance is really not an excuse there, um, unless it's willful. Um, so, if somebody does become aware after the fa- after that and go oh i'm the centerpiece in this big conspiracy um against uh, my country of birth then th- that might have a lot of psychological trauma it sounds like
7: yeah i mean i think there's an element of that i also think that you know tucker's father was drummed out of the intelligence services uh which is i think something that should also be sort of focused on i mean he was mm-hmm. he, there was a like, mm-hmm. sort of black mark on him for his time as ambassador in the seychelles you know seychelles mm-hmm. are of course a very important place where the russians do a lot of money laundering oh, yeah.
9: um and, and that's where Eric Prince took off for as soon as Trump was, uh, or in the month following Trump's election, he went and met with uh, Kirill, I'm forgetting the guy's name, um, the, the one with, from from the Russia Development Investment Fund, RDIF. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, so.
7: And of course, um, you know, Tucker, in the time that I've known him, has been very skeptical of a lot of the claims about the U.S. government. I should say, all right, so in the photo I just posted, you know, you can see Matt Gates talking to Tucker Carlson, and then off, can- off sort of to the left is Arthur Schwartz, who's there at Mar-a-Lago.
0: Okay, this is uh, Donald Trump on John McCain's funeral. <laughs>
8: Uh, ...from almost 20 years ago, from John McCain to Donald Trump. Very friendly, uh, very uh, positive, and we know what happened. So in the book, he writes up about how he was not a very big fan and how things didn't work out. He wrote this, I never warmed up to him, never felt good toward anybody having to do anything with John McCain, and never will. Even despite the fact that at their request, I gave him the world's longest funeral, 11 days. Much like his wars it never ended <coughs> uh from almost ah! 20 years ago from-
0: okay that that is pretty good much like john mccain's wars his uh funeral 11 days it uh, never ended
7: and arthur was extremely critical of trump in the election uh, was working trying to defeat Trump in favor of Rubio and other candidates, and now he's you know Trump's biggest defender, and he's of course the ZOA guy who I mentioned that, that Tucker was getting very close to, um, th- and, and and Schwartz is, is Arthur Finkelstein's guy. Yeah, I think a way to think about him is the more modern Arthur Finkelstein. So for those who are un- unaware, Arthur Finkelstein was a you know for many years he was a closeted gay man, uh, you know deeply involved in basically the dark arts and politics was very connected with the hungarians was very connected with rebecca mercer and
9: um, orban Viktor orban referred to him as Finky. he was so close that's
7: right yeah they were very very close and honestly i think when he came out you know as a when he came out as gay i actually think that he became a less effective operative because he was because he was so closeted he was very good at like you know at at basically like um finding he was very good at finding opposition research on people he was very very good at that uh he knew where people like to hide secrets and all of that and uh he was he's deceased now um and I, I do know there's some people who've been trying to get his FBI file, which is apparently quite lengthy, um, but I don't know the status of that as yet. Uh, I knew him. He was perfectly friendly to me. Uh, he worked for Steve Lonegan. Uh, that's sort of how I first met him, who was running for uh, for U.S. Senate against Cory Booker, which was – a lot of that was mm. about the Iran deal, of course, because Cory Booker had supported uh, had supported the Iran deal, um, whereas, uh, but, you know, whereas Steve Lonegan was opposed to it. So that would have been 2013 timeframe. Trying to think if there's anything – oh, I have a few other notes. I mean, Tucker – you know, went to Africa at one point. He had like a lot of falling out with some of the people he was there with, many of whom had their own connections with the intelligence services. He tried to be in the CIA, was rejected. Uh, Neil Patel, who was his roommate and co-proprietor of the Daily Caller, uh, runs a sort of hedge fund, sort of asset fund. And he uh, he was, of course, Dick Cheney's right-hand man himself. Mm. So that kind of gives you some, some background there. Now I should say, like, I, I honestly, I think Tucker and Fox generally are, are kind of fucked. And we can kind of go into like why that is. You know the relationship with uh, with China, with the Bank of China in particular, the hundred million dollars that they got, you know, as a loan. Or we could talk about Wendy Dang and how she's a Chinese asset, in addition to being Rupert Murdoch's, you know, wife and then ex-wife. Uh, we could go through like a lot of the history here. I mean, I think Zev Shalev's work—if somebody wants to share this up in the jumbotron—Zev uh, Shalev's work here is pretty good as well. Uh, when we go into like talking about the Murdoch family and all the connections there to the various yeah, services.
9: So- I mean, Zev is uh, Zev is digging into the background of Rupert Murdoch, and you know, one of the things to look for in these stories is you know, unlikely non meritocratic rises. So Rupert Murdoch himself, his father, I believe, was bankrupt or very close to it, and um, you know, gave Rupert like, one newspaper in Adelaide, Australia, which he's turned into this you know globe-spanning, you know, multi-continent propaganda empire, and. Um, you know, nobody usually is that good a business person without some major help from a nation state, and uh, of course. Yeah, and maybe he, and maybe several nation states in the case of Murdoch. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, because he's taken you know you know a nine-digit figure uh, debt from the Chinese. He was owned a certain chunk by the Saudis. Um, his relationship to the Israelis is very interesting, as was uh, his so-called rival nemesis uh, Robert Maxwell, who I believe Zeb is sort of poking some holes in whether or not Maxwell and uh, Murdoch were really rivals. Yeah, I think Zev is were.
7: correct about this. I mean, I think they were kind of frenemies at different stages, and of course, there's also the question. About about Murdoch's connections with the Russians going back to his days in university, um, which I think Zev has done a very good job on. And for those who are curious, I shared Zev's, you know, step up on the Jumbotron and kind of poke around on it. Um, You know, uh, what can I say? I mean, it seems pretty clear to me, and this was the point I was making in the Mario space, that the AUKUS powers are really rolling back a lot of the foreign intelligence operations. And this includes uh, Fox. I think it also includes Silicon Valley. And I think we're going to see this over time where the life becomes increasingly difficult for these players. Um, And I think that's just going to be a kind of new normal that that a lot of people are going to have to adjust to.
9: Well, that's sort of the spirit of this space is that uh, you know, we seem to be talking more frankly uh, about these things, finally, which is very fun, which is you know, the notion that the narratives that are being created in the United States and in Canada and in the UK and other places are not just products of the opinions of their people, not even the elites, not even the journalist class, the academic class, but really a you know, very, very complicated team effort, including some you know, spy agencies that have been at this kind of thing for 100 years or more. Um, in some cases, right. so. and, I
7: mean, How- one of the things I was saying earlier is that it's really, uh, it's really dumb to think of these things as business decisions, right? Like, I know John is here, and John and I have poked around on, like, you know, my pillow, Mike, Mike Lindell, and you know, mm-hmm. we poked around.
0: Yeah, and I think Chuck Johnson's onto something here, right? Uh, when when Ben Shapiro's operation offered Stephen Crowder fifty million dollars for a four year contract, there's something going on there way beyond business. On
7: him, and it's pretty clear that he's like, clearly a front for the cartels or the Chinese or both. Um, and Mm -hmm. he's, of course, the lion's share revenue for Fox. He's one of the major advertisers. So that's kind of interesting, and if you look at, you know, Lindell has been losing lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. That's kind of a tell as well. Um, I would just say, you know, I think it's going to be very hard for a lot of people to accept that there are lots of these constructs running around in our society, and I should say, too, on the Don Lemon point, um, many years ago now, I had a a guy who later went to go work for RT, this guy Lee Stranahan, uh, who I knew Mm -hmm. from the Breitbart Mm -hmm. world, and he went to work for RT, and I think for Sputnik as well, or either Sputnik or RT
0: uh lee stranahan has done oh, richard spencer's done shows with lee stranahan yeah,
7: forgive me if it's not immediately at hand i think for sputnik anyway he and i had a big falling out over the uh, over the whole jeffrey epstein matter where i pointed out that i suspected the virginia roberts uh story had a lot of holes in it and that the photo the famous photo that has prince andrew and Ghislaine maxwell and uh and robert uh, and uh, uh, and uh, uh virginia roberts i suspected that that photo was a fake which of course has later mm. been effectively confirmed by british intelligence and by others that the photo is not authentic um it was
0: uh, yeah, I'm not at all sure of that, but a uh, big thread on Steve Saylor about Tucker Carlson's departure. Uh, Steve Saylor's not some kind of huge uh, Tucker fan, but he's occasionally you know, mentioned that Tucker seems to be getting a lot of his ideas from from Steve. And uh, Steve Saylor's comment section its either declined in quality over the, the past uh, eight years, maybe over the past five years, or I've changed. So I'm not sure who's... Who's changed more? The Steve Seeler comment section, which I think is frequently a sore, or if I've changed. So looking at the comments, I think we are legitimately on the fast track for genuine dystopia. I think that's nonsense. Uh, Tucker's follow-up comments or questions to guests consisted of, that's so wise. (laughs) Or some cliche. All right. So I guess guests will promise that if they appear on the show, that's all Tucker will say. So Tucker's monologues were excellent, but kudos goes to the writers. So what did t- Tucker do to earn his giant salary? He was merely a teleprompter reader. So now there's no reason to pay any attention to Fox. Uh, apparently, 18-year-old boy dies when doctors try to create a vagina for him using part of his colon. His colon was used because puberty blockers stopped growth of his genitals which meant there wasn't enough tissue to do the penile inversion surgery. This is from thepostmillennial.com. Uh, Tucker was touching too many third rail subjects, COVID, Ukraine, globalization, so he had to go. He was no longer a gatekeeper. He was too much of a truth teller. Right, I think that's insane. All right, Tucker is not a huge truth teller. He was a truth teller in some areas, and he was a, a nonsense teller in many other areas, such as his anti-vaccine activism. Why the nation's most popular cable TV news and opinion host can't get any sponsors because he said so many crazy things that were just demonstrably false. Alright, and he was uh, irresponsible with some of his his rhetoric. Nicholas Sticks says, you know, there would been no reporting so far. Well, I, I've read about 40 stories on Tucker getting fired. The elder Murdoch, very concerned about anti-Semitism. He got his broadcast license in the U.S. by being friendly to Jews since the 1970s. He fired Tucker because of the allegations made by Abby Grossberg about harassment against her and other Jewish employees. Did Tucker have two Jews on his staff so he could tell the ADL he was not an anti-Semite? The descent of Fox into CNN light is nearly complete. I don't think so. So the two Murdoch sons were not that political but their wives are leftists and they are pressuring their husbands to push Fox leftward. Maybe Tucker's crime was his recent positive interview with RFK Jr. Yeah, why would Tucker you know give up that much airtime to someone who is just uh, completely wrong about vaccines? How about old Murdoch? A few drinks under his belt, slumping in his chair, thinking about the day's events. Yeah, Tucker, you ain't such a big shot after all, all right? You're no hero now. And then there, none of our child molesting leadership could forgive Tucker permanently defa- deflating the January sixth nothing burger. That's insane. January sixth, not a nothing burger, and there's no evidence that. uh You know, our elites are dominantly child molesters. Now, Glenn Greenwald said, Tucker is the one cable host to oppose the U.S. proxy war in Ukraine. Good point. Denounced CIA, FBI, and Department of Homeland Security for systemic lies and corruption. Good point. Devoted himself to a pardon for Julian Assange. Don't have a strong opinion on that. Objected to regime change efforts in Cuba. Don't have a strong opinion. Well, no, I I agree with Tucker there. Criticized Trump administration militarism. Okay, I guess I'd agree with that. Uh, Tucker was probably losing money for Fox despite his ratings. Most respectable companies would rather virtue signal than get those eyeballs. So he's left with offbeat advertisers. One of the factors might have been a hostile workplace environment lawsuit from a female booker. Her allegations are not that serious, just some mild talk. Just another example of how no one is safe from the left's lawfare or workplaces. Basically under state surveillance, and it'll only get worse whatever happened to the Republican platform of tort reform of decades past? The worst part is the January 6th videos. He was the only mainstream news source to watch them and show them to his audience. It's scary, no other outlet is interested in holding government accountable, right? I don't agree that uh, Tucker was leading the way in holding government accountable. Uh, Rupert Murdoch has seized News Corp control to his liberal son. Lachlan's not liberal, he's uh, conservative. I like how Steve was a booster of Tucker Carlson a few years ago. Then when Tucker caught on to the COVID hysteria and refused to go along with all the Ukraine nonsense, Steve went silent about him. Well, I agree with Steve Saylor more than I agree with Tucker. LA Times says Rupert Murdoch made the decision to fire Tucker Carlson on Friday evening. And Lachlan Murdoch and the non-family member CEO of Fox News agreed with the decision. So the lawsuit was not a simple discrimination allegation. A Jewish woman claimed that Tucker's staff harassed her and an Israeli the media industry expects to be free of anti-Semitism. There's some of the top comments on Steve Saylor's was blog. Published in the Daily
7: Mail by a guy who got in all kinds of trouble faking photos, um, who had all kinds of connections with foreign intelligence, so I find that kind of interesting. But anyway, so Lee was telling me that he knew that Don Lemon, or Don Lemon, or however you say his name, that he was, uh, that he had sexual misconduct issues with, like, younger, younger men, basically. And he mm. apparently, he said that he had some sort of video or something. And I said, you know, I, I don't really want to see any of that. That stuff makes me very uncomfortable. Um, you mm. know, I think if you have anything, you should go to the authorities. And he never went to the authorities and then later went to go work for RT or Sputnik or whatever. Mm. So I think there's something to that as well, that maybe what's happening right now is that the reason these firings are taking place all at once, from Don Lamont to, uh, to Tucker Carlson to the guy at, uh, at NBC Universal, I think the reason all this is happening at once is because the deep state doesn't want to get, give the appearance of, of, uh, of basically favoring one faction over the other. And my sense with murdoch mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so this is my th-
0: oh i see a comment here on steve Saylor's blog from physicist dave remember physicist dave i think this is the physicist dave the jewish guy who debated who debated some counter semite on andy Woski's show R- remember this was it uh physicist dave versus mike enoch or nick fuentes anyway he makes a good point. Leading up to the 2020 election, various democratic operatives, notably the attorney Mark Elias, persuaded and bullied the executive and judiciary in various states to alter the methods by which the members of the Electoral College were chosen without action from the legislatures of these states. So another ploy is to say the legislatures thereof actually refers to the executive and judicial branches. So yeah, the, the Democrats were very successful in changing the rules of the election. New York Magazine has at least six articles on the Tucker Carlson situation. I'm on the right. I think they're interesting articles. You got to give it to Tucker. He really managed to get under their skin and hit a nerve. Yeah, but that's not necessarily a good thing. How is it dystopian that a network fired an anti-American traitor? Tucker was a race, uh adl believes tucker carlson could become a leader of a future anti-semitic movement in america tucker carlson had a segment on what is killing rural america he blames people like peter singer who calls a vulture in contrast to his hero henry ford so even the conservative jewish tablet magazine wanted us to see tucker carlson shut down after this segment there was uh, Tucker pushing anti-Semitism if here. If you
8: spend spent any time driving around America recently, you may have noticed that an awful lot of the country seems to have shriveled up and died. Take a trip on Route 2 in Maine sometime and count the boarded-up paper mills and abandoned houses you see. Or head down Route 23 in Michigan or Ohio and consider the empty factories ringed with barbed wire. You'll see a lot of them. Outside the coastal cities, scenes like this are everywhere. This is your country now shuttered car dealerships next to defunct restaurants across street from thrift stores and methadone clinics. That's America. Community after community. Desiccated. Empty husks with nothing left. Huge swaths of the United States look like that now. So what happened? Well a lot of things happened. Some of them are complicated and hard to change. But one of the big factors in this slow-moving disaster is the utter transformation of the way our leaders think about the American economy. During the last Gilded Age, 125 years ago, America's ruling class may have been ostentatiously rich and they were. Go to Newport, Rhode Island for proof, if you like. But it was still a recognizably American class. Tycoons accumulated fortunes, but they also felt some obligation to the country around them. Steel tycoon Andrew Carnegie famously built stone libraries around the country for the edification of people beneath him. John D. Rockefeller and many other so-called robber barons set aside huge portions of their wealth and, in some cases, their property to make this country better. Yellowstone, Acadia National Park, etc. Maybe most significantly, in January of 1914, Henry Ford more than doubled the prevailing factory wage to a then remarkable $5 for an eight-hour day. Ford didn't have to do that, but his company was succeeding and he thought he should. Some historians trace the creation of the American middle Class to that decision. Either way, it is nearly impossible to imagine a big company doing anything like that today. Attitudes are just too different. Your average finance mogul looks at workers merely as cost to be reduced or eliminated entirely. Private equity isn't building a lot of public libraries these days. Instead, the model is ruthless economic efficiency. Buy a distressed company, outsource the jobs, liquidate the valuable assets, fire middle management, And once the smoke is cleared, dump what remains to the highest bidder, often in Asia. It's happened around the country. It has made a small number of people phenomenally rich. One of them is a New York-based hedge fund manager called Paul Singer, who, according to Forbes, has amassed a personal fortune of more than $3 billion. How has Singer made that money? We made a lot of it by purchasing sovereign debt from financially distressed countries, countries that were in trouble, usually at a massive discount. Once a country's economy regained some stability, Singer would bombard its government with lawsuits and a massive public relations campaign originating here in Washington, sometimes, until he made his money back with interest. The practice is called vulture capitalism, feeding off the carcass of a dying nation. In some ways, it's not so different from what Singer and his firm, Elliott Management, have done in this country and to this country. Over the past couple of decades, Elliott Management has made billions by buying large stakes in American companies, then firing workers, driving up short-term share prices, and in some cases taking government bailouts, insult to injury. Bloomberg News once described Singer as, quote, the world's most feared investor, and that tells you a lot. No one's even pretending Paul Singer's tactics are good for anyone but Paul Singer and his fund. Consider the case of Delphi, the automotive parts supplier. During the last financial crisis, a consortium of hedge funds, including Singer's Elliott Management, purchased Delphi. With Singer and the other funds at the helm, the company took billions of dollars in government bailouts paid for by you. Obama's auto czar compared those tactics to extortion, but they continued anyway. Once they had the bailout money, the funds moved most of Delphi's jobs overseas and then either cut retiree pensions entirely or shifted the cost to taxpayers. With later financial commitments at home and cheap factories abroad, Delphi's stock soared. According to investigative reporter Greg Palast, of the 29 Delphi plants in operation when the hedge fund started buying Delphi's debt, only four were still operating in the United States by 2012. That means tens of thousands of unionized and white-collar workers lost
0: their... So Chuck Johnson makes the point that uh, Paul Singh is a very dangerous man to cross. But uh, Tucker Carlson was willing to do it. This is from three years ago. This video has received over 4 million views on YouTube.
8: ...jobs. Paul Singer's hedge fund cashed out for more than a billion dollars. See how that works? Well, some countries, including the United Kingdom, have banned this kind of behavior. It bears...
0: Okay, let's uh, listen to a little bit more of uh, Chuck Johnson here talking with Eric Garland. Theory, and,
7: and I'll shut up and then we can let others speak, but my theory of the case is that Murdoch wants to preserve as much of his empire as he can in his 90s. And I think that the handover took place between Murdoch and Musk at the Super Bowl which is why the two of them were hanging out together. And let's not forget that like Rupert Murdoch's wife or ex-wife, Wendy Dang is the one who introduced Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner, that there's a kind of like oligarchic kind of mob network operating here. That...
9: And that Wendy Deng also introduced uh, a friend of hers who became uh, Ivanka and Jared's nanny and taught their daughter Mandarin well enough that she was able to sing in Mandarin for Xi Jinping when they went to Beijing.
7: Yeah, that's right. Um, which speaks for itself, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, there's a long history here of these sort of weird intelligence operations, uh, you know, that, that intersect with the mob world and the mob world with the intelligence operations.
9: Hello? Did we, did we lose you uh, there? Can you guys hear me? Can
7: you hear me?
10: Hold on, I'll be right back. How are we doing? Charles, you still there? Momentarily. Or, um, you know, subpar goods. And so if we, if we accept that we're living in a marketplace of ideas in our information space huh. in a democratic society, then it makes sense that somebody would probably try to sell us dog shit wrapped in shiny box. And unfortunately, I think we'll see.
9: You know, or or slapping the hostile foreign intelligence operation label on things, which um, should be accompanied at least by a 20 U.S. Code like administrative fair charge, if not a five nine five one 951 charge. Well, I'll let the DOJ handle that. But um, you know, we sh- if we're going to have a conversation, like, look, I've got control over this space. Um, you know, part of the magic of Twitter these past few years is like you start talking, and there's been all these these voices that are you know funded by or directed by whether they're sitting in that country or not. They're directed by Russia. They're directed by Israel, Saudi, China, Brazil. Uh, and, you know, we.
0: Here's a comment on Steve Saylor's blog. I hope Tucker won't settle for moving to some alternative platform like Gab or Rumble. They're too obscure to too many among the public. Tucker is unusual among dissenters and being rich enough to create a whole new channel. Surely much of his audience would be glad to chip in. So how far might he go in his commentary? Might he even run for president?
9: We've even seen reports that like little Hezbollah uh you know was poking their nose in, in 2020 you know no one <laughs> that's kind of interesting um you know you can't have a discussion as a country if these you know these other forces or you know these these other countries are able to just drown out the discussion that the people living on the ground in that democracy are having you know they, you know that, dem- that democracy cannot function if everyone's stuck listening to and discussing the latest you know talking point that has you know been gr- created by let's call it russian intelligence or some direct-
0: uh so you say it was uh- Comment section says that uh, since 2015, Steve Saylor has learned to stop talking about Jews.
9: Derivative ...thereof, because um, there's plenty of countries that have gotten quite good at mimicking the kind of rhetorical weapons that the Russians came up with in their 150 years of doing this, or more. And, um, you know, we just can't have a democracy if, you know, every through these computers, everybody gets access to our, you know, our democratic dialogue. And that's what we've had. And I don't think we've had a real discussion about, like, um you know who this is and i speaking as somebody who on december eleventh 2016 blah 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 you may have you read you know read the thread that's why you're here where i'm like hey guys you ever hear of russia they do russia things and i got screeched at by of course people that
0: and uh, bill comments tucker carlson's about the only show that might convince me to shell out for cable tv tucker has outgrown the medium which mainly caters to elderly retirees so what's next i think this presents a stellar opportunity carlson's often criticized for relying on his writers this shows his most outstanding talent, his ability to find and foster cutting-edge creators and put their work to use. The right backer at Carlson could put together a team that would absolutely dominate streaming media and political commentary. He could continue to do his show, freed from the shackles of the cable TV industry. He could put pe- his people in a position to create enough content to have a 24-hour live stream of news and commentary that would put any other site out there to shame
9: were in, in the game of, you know, pretending to be Americans and, <clears throat> and pretending to be part of this discussion. Some of them Russian, some of them from other countries, but they absolutely did not want that discussion to take place. And so I got quite a bit of targeting as some others have. Uh,
0: Charles, you still there? Ah. And here's another comment. Uh, Tucker had a reputation for slicing and dicing neocons and ideologues like Max Boot and John Bolton. He would have an open invitation to anyone he disagreed with. that most turned him down out of fear including uh, Boris Johnson. Still so there?
9: There are, some for, there are some spy agencies that want to be part of this discussion. What do they do to you as an individual, as a person? Oh, I mean, well, I've had people follow me. I've had people like... Fo-
0: Come on, guys, we're to run a show here.
9: Well, we also just had crappy... Uh, inevitably. <laughs> well, I say <laughs> that
10: because there was this strange occurrence in early 2017 where C-SPAN cut over to a live feed of RT for about 40 seconds. And it didn't get much coverage at the time. <laughs> but it was just a spontaneous... It was like you had changed the channel without noticing it. And then it just spontaneously switched back.
0: And uh, chat says, Steve Saylor doesn't seem too unhappy to see Tucker go. So,
10: strange things have
9: happened. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you know, this is... know oh, we've got... I'm going to send co-hosts, right? Up, Charles appears to be back. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the technical, the
0: technical... Okay, from Steve Saylor's comments section, say, here's the reason why Tucker... Had to go, perhaps the most important clip of uh, Tucker's entire career. Let's see what he's got to say that's so shocking.
8: Yeah, like that is a big part of the revelation that's changed my life is the media are part of the control apparatus. Like there's no... Yeah, I know, I know. Cause you're younger and smarter and you're like, yeah, yeah. But what if you're me and you spent your whole life in that world? And to look around and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow. Not only are they part of the problem, but I spent most of my life being part of the problem defending the Iraq War. Like I actually did that. Can you imagine if you did that?
4: Well, what do you think – what is
7: one of your biggest regrets in your career? Oh,
8: Defending the Iraq War. That is it? Well, I've had a million regrets not being more skeptical, calling people names when I should have listened to what they were saying. Look, when you when someone makes a claim, there's only one question – That's important at the very beginning, which is, is the claim true or not? Mm. So I say, you know, you committed murder or you rigged the last election before you attack me as a crazy person for saying that maybe you should explain whether you did it or not. (laughs)
0: You know what I mean? Yeah.
8: And for too long, I participated in the culture where I was like, anyone who thinks outside these pre-prescribed lanes is crazy, is a conspiracy theorist. And I just really regret that. I'm ashamed that I did that. And, and partly it was age, partly it was the world that I grew up in. So when you, when you look at me and you're like, yeah, of course they're part of the means of control. I'm like, that's obvious to you because you're 28, but I just didn't see it at all, at all. And I'm ashamed of
7: that. Isn't that what the media tries to do though?
8: It, it's their only purpose. Right. They're not here to inform you. Really? Even on the big things that really matter, like the economy and war and COVID and like things that really matter that will affect you. No, their job is not to inform you. They are working for the small group of people who actually run the world. They're their servants. They're their Praetorian Guard, and we should treat them with maximum contempt because they have earned
0: it. Okay, back to Eric Garland and Chuck. Staff Johnson. who's
9: our our legion? Uh, you know, when <laughs> and you know, is it is it is it paranoia to notice uh, when these when these things all you know happen sort of reliably? It's like you know, I can test my uh, upload and download speed. And the software remains the same, but kind yeah, of... I'll just tell
7: you, like, I mean, I've had these networks tell me in writing that they were punishing me for writing things about Elon Musk or uh, for talking about Peter Thiel. And so, yeah, I mean, that's real. Like people can, you know, in the case of as a tech investor, you know, you want to be able to take cash from anyone. Right. And so for your, you know, for the later stages of your, of your company. And I had people tell me that if I shut up about Musk, they would back various startups I was backing. And uh, when I refused and, ma- and basically asked them to explain themselves in email, they then demanded that they get back their investment money that they'd invested in my various companies. And I told them, no, like that's, that wasn't part of our deal. And so, uh, so yeah, there is this network that operates. And if you criticize the network or talk about the network,
10: it will come down on you in whatever way it can. Or worse yet, tell them that parts of America aren't for sale or, and it's not negotiable.
7: Yeah. And what's been interesting to me is actually watching some of the networks kind of get this and they ultimately switch. So that to me has been kind of fascinating to watch, like people get turned or networks get turned. And I think, you know, I've talked a bit about, I wrote today about justice Thomas and, you know, the connections that he has with the mob world, and particularly the, the Harlan Crow family, which has its connections with the Chinese and with others. And so I think what's interesting is the U.S. government helps ProPublica to publish these kind of stories uh, on, um, on the, the Thomas problem. And then you see things like the other justices on the Supreme Court, you know, they go along with, like, doing sensible things like allowing the abortion pill or what have you. So I think what, what happens is that sometimes people are made an example of by our security services, uh, and then others kind of see, see the writing on the wall, and then they get, like, re-compromised for being helpful to Uncle Sam.
9: Well, that's nice, right? I mean, you know, we can. So there's a, there's a hope for these folks, right? <laughs> yeah, I
7: think that's right. And I think what we're going to see soon is we're going to see some action against Rumble, which is where a lot of these guys seemingly are decamping to. And there's a lot of weird stuff around Rumble. It's connection. You know, the Canadian you know, founder's got some like weird Romanian connections. Uh, there's sort of a lot of weird stuff going on there all at once.
9: So I'm putting.
0: I don't know if this... Okay, let's have a look here and see if comments section. Uh, Hopalong Cassidy says, I'm very black, peeled more than I've been in a long time. I can always get the information Tucker doled out elsewhere and in more depth. The importance of Tucker is that he reached out to people who would not have sought alternative sources. He opened eyes. He reached those traditional gun-toting Scots-Irish-Americans who never met an American war they didn't like. He made them have second thoughts about American intervention. He also reached lefties who might have tuned in just to see what the fuss was about. He probably made them rethink their entire world view. With Tucker gone, increasing looks like there are only one of two outcomes in our future, totalitarianism or nuclear annihilation. All right. I think that conclusion is absurd. This
9: goes in the Jumbotron, but I'm putting up a, uh, the, the pile of devices that I have lost during the game theory era here. <laughs> yeah, put
7: it up. Put it up in the Jumbotron. Um, I'm sort of of the view that like eventually we'll all be Hunter Biden, right? Everyone
0: So The comment, losing Tucker from Fox is a real blow to us. We had one guy, just one guy speaking common sense, truth to power. On a mainstream media platform reaching millions of normies, the minoritarian establishment badly wanted him gone, and now he's gone. And other people saying, oh, this is the Jews, typical Jewish power. (laughs) What's that?
9: I wish, because anybody who says they don't, you know, if all the stories are true, anybody that says they wouldn't party for a weekend with Hunter Biden is lying to themselves or others, that's all.
7: I'm frankly kind of impressed that somebody of his age could put up with all that low and all of
9: those prostitutes.
7: It's kind of impressive, just, like, health-wise. It's, you know? it's he should be elected president I mean, just on those grounds alone,
9: you know? You know, and, and he multitasks. Apparently, he can represent 17 different um, hostile foreign powers. And it, isn't it interesting how everybody except him goes to prison in those circumstances? It's weird.
7: Yeah, I think he's, I think he's. last total, I think he's put away something like 18, 19 people over the course of his life. And he never seems to get in trouble, which is just kind of interesting when you think about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you might you might
9: suspect something after a while. But, I think he'll um, end up
7: owning Fox think- by the end of this.
9: <laughs> well, so that sort of coalesces a point here. We were talking about what happens, um, you know, when you oppose these things. I just put up a little photo from my uh, my evidence locker of various devices that have been uh, that have that have shut down in ways that I, I know some of the best information security people in the world, and you know, when you get com- these are guys that have seen everything, and they are not impressed by much. And when those dudes go, oh, that's a new one, I mean, <laughs> or wow, you got the you got
5: the platinum package.
9: I mean, you know, the, the implication is that there is some, all, you know, almost. A sh-
0: okay here's some commentary i agree with i just feel sad i have to say that i didn't watch his show much i thought his book ship of fools was great pretty much everything he said was right on target but the show kept getting more and more over the top to the point where even someone like me someone who's totally in his camp but often felt like he was whipping up hysteria for ratings he really needs to work on that annoying laugh it'll be interesting to see where he goes next not just the platform but his tone i'm hoping he will dial it back and become a voice of reason again but that may not be a viable stance on the right anymore. And if so, that's a huge problem for us. We need to grow the base. You can't do that by constantly feeding nonsense to the most extreme elements.
9: Surely military-grade stuff going on. Um, so, you know, it's pretty clear that the kind of harassment that these guys will put in when you, yeah, when you say, like, I'm not really able to be bought off and I'm just going to bust your networks all day, you know, their, their commitment may appear to be quite intense. Um, but what's so interesting about Dominion, um, you know, this voting this, you know, this election technology company that, you know, by requesting from the jury seven times its earnings kind of was saying, Hey, we have lost all value in our company. You know, we've been bankrupted effectively by Fox and we're owed, you know, we are owed that value back. These guys owe us for what they did. And we have free speech in the United States, but it has limits. It has way fewer limits than almost every other country in the world, but it has its limits. And so what this, you know, what this dominion um, situation really did was, you know, really test that out and go, if you cause, you know, for whatever your reason, if you cause economic damage, to somebody reputational.
0: Okay. I'm not a fan of Oren McIntyre. I think he's frequently hysterical, but he does have a good point here Has the West fooled itself into thinking that high trust societies with the default social arrangement, but they aren't, they require many layers of careful cooperation and maintenance to quickly vanish without people understanding why.
9: All the that can be quantified, um, you know, your your free speech as a corporation, especially one that's financed by China and Saudi and whatnot, that's going to have limits here in the United States. And this is sort of the first time that that's happened, where we've got such a. Not only do, do we see that, um, you know, the, the judge cut off the trial on the merits and uh, granted them summary granted Dominion summary judgment, saying that you know just what they had seen from the affidavits and the and the depositions, um, that that was enough to say that it would be a waste of a jury's time. To decide whether or not defamation had happened it had uh, it was defamation per quad not per se so that's the harder kind you have to quantify the damage you have to say that any reasonable person would know this was not true what was said and that because of that lack of truth there was damage the damage quantifiable and it can be attributed to the defendant so it's a pretty high bar and dominion leapt over it and the only thing the trial was going to be on was malice which i believe would treble the damages and obviously fox not only took okay. you know, took their licks let's, uh, the
0: let's say hello to uh, duvid uh, amazing show duvid on uh, sunday how's it going man
6: oh yeah brook so I just saw that uh I, I didn't check my messages and I just saw you'd sent me the link so uh so you're still streaming yeah Brokoshem.
0: yeah so uh tell me about the show you did with uh Michael the convert to Judaism
6: well that was the plan you know all along so uh you know you had sent me the link on Sunday and he was actually like a few minutes away so uh you know he was a streamer so yeah i figured he'd be interesting for you to talk to so i just uh, put him right on and uh i I guess he did pretty well um and so we hadn't actually decided what he wanted to stream um you know he just kind of reached out to me maybe even a few months ago and then uh i'm not sure if he had been traveling i think he'd been traveling and maybe it'd been like new mexico and he was back in metro detroit he messaged and so we got together at uh Jerusalem Pizza and we ended up speaking for hours and uh you know decided we try streaming together. And I guess he wasn't exactly so clear on streaming, although although he has a uh to call it, uh, a podcast. I'm not sure how many viewers it got. So I recommended like let's just go over the prayers because I was talking to him about the prayers and he wanted to learn more about Hebrew. And I saw, like, he had only converted uh, conservative and uh, looked like he wanted to learn more. So I just figured, like, I'll teach you the prayers. We'll do it live. And it was a pretty good stream, like, two hours. We started with Modani the Uh I let him read the Hebrew. I went over the Hebrew, like, word for word. And, and explain
0: like, Modani is the prayer that you say upon awakening, where you thank God for essentially returning your soul to you.
6: Yeah, through... Uh, the blessing on the Torah, so you know, like the battery of prayers in the morning, there's the, you know, the original, you know, moda, the mantra that say upon waking up, the blessing of washing the hands. Uh, we didn't do all like the various, uh, verses and, uh, you know, tzitzis and Tefillin, and then there's a, a prayer called Elokei Neshoma, the, the soul that you gave me is pure. Then there's like 13 blessings that include the infamous, uh, thank you for not making me a goy and a slave and a woman. And then there's two more blessings, Amaver Shena, who removes the sleep from the eye and the wrote zone that uh um you God should uh make us safe during the day from uh bad things so uh i I felt pretty good about it because I love Judaism. I've never ceased my love of Judaism, kind of like what Aaron was saying. sometimes I fall out in the tribal aspect. Or, you know, like Israeli politics or, you know, various things in the Torah. But uh, the rituals, like the blessings, uh, the prayers, I've never grown tired of them. Um, I basically, without exception, said them every single day. And, uh, you know, so just going over teaching someone that, um, you know, kind of like revive my interest in in prayer. And also like a little spark in Judaism uh, because, I mean, like even with you, um, converts are... To some extent, miraculous. So meeting a convert is uh, you know, a little bit miraculous, and uh, you know, like my path because you know, like I take different approaches than certainly the Orthodox community, maybe even to most Jewish communities in totality. And I think those are like an impasse. Like uh, um, I will always be at least in these specific aspects at odds with the uh, standard community. So to you know to meet a convert and he's also from you know, like far out in in the suburbs where he's about thirty miles out of Metro Detroit. He's a good uh, and and ironically he's uh, right near my father's medical office. So uh, you know, like I brought him out to my parents' house, introduced him to my parents, and uh, I might actually put him to work a little bit. You know, but for my parents they got a lot of you know things going on at their house and moving. So I might even uh, put him to work in uh, part time. And, uh, we scheduled to stream on Thursday, part two, where we would do, uh, de Zimra, and I would go over, um, uh, an overview of the, you know, just the chakras prayer service. So I, I would be interested, like in New York, I had Elliot on week in review and we went like into detail. I was talking about these, uh, you know, Jewish party circuits. So I was asking Elliot, you know, I know he's only a patrilineal Jew and, uh, if he had ever been part of a all Jewish friend group, and I was telling him about these kind of like because of Michael being uh, coming on through uh, psychedelics of these basically networks of uh, drug using Jews that a lot of times mostly come from Orthodox backgrounds, Um and you know, like New York, I, I'm assuming there's things like that. I was like, God forbid, even like uh, acid Shabbos type things where you know like people get together and over sabbath and and do psychedelics and i'm assuming there's things like that in la like i knew i was even at a few events like that in new york and in israel like you know there's probably tens of thousands of uh um like jewish drug users like that but elliot had never experienced anything like he had never even been part of like a circle of friends that were all jewish um so in metro detroit there's not really such a thing there's only like five thousand orthodox jews and i think it's mostly like off the derrick, maybe also pornography or various things. If you wanted to talk about that, that subject's always interesting to me. Of, uh, you know, off the derrick kids of Orthodox Jews that tend to roll with only Jews and have exclusively Jewish friend networks. And, the, you know, so that even you'll see like doing psychedelics or um, sinful behavior because socially they're so used to rolling with only Jews or even only former Orthodox Jews. Uh, that You have a lot of circles, although there'll be stragglers, some converts, uh, some random goyim, some bali secular Jews. So I thought like maybe Elliot would have been part of a group like that. Maybe at some point in his life, he would have been friends with a Jew who would have introduced him to his friends of, you know, Jews that would have been almost exclusively Jewish. And, and I assume you, like sociologically, you know exactly what I'm talking about yes. with the crews of you know, where basically everyone's Jewish, even yeah. if they're doing like sinful activity
0: yeah yeah so i mean people have their, their tribal ways you know no, no matter their religious beliefs or observance uh what were some of the highlights of your discussion was it with john Wolfe on the perils of the e-personality
6: um so there, there's you know this circle i guess god forbid uh you're like mob tube genre where, where John Wolf really loves following these like online mobsters. And maybe some of them are actually you're like mainstream mobsters that are on YouTube. And, uh, so I stream with John Wolf for like a, two months, three months and, and we didn't really pick up many viewers. And, uh, and so we stopped doing it. Wasn't going anywhere. Um, and, uh, and I basically me and him talked and talked and I ran out of things to say on the subject. And then, but he went from that period, like 300 some subs to 500 subs. And I guess he found a new circle uh, this woman called Jen Bailey, God forbid, who was like a internet drama queen who, uh, um, I mean, maybe you're in Hollywood. You're familiar with it. Like, uh, love after lockup i don't know if you've heard of that show no um i mean it's basically a dating show but it's it's people that uh um have you know like stick through relationships with people that are in prison or like getting out for like a year so so she had been a woman who uh um dated one of the men in love after lockup i mean that like i guess she had some sort of relationship with them and stuck with them when he was in prison and then dated him afterwards. And uh, you know, from that propelled herself into minor celebrity and has a lot of online drama where it basically just like post her life and everything. And so like John Wolf got into the circles and, and this other woman, allegedly Ampsi, Amy from Portland, um, it does like true crime podcasting and follows so god forbid she made her start following another um reality tv show called teen mom god forbid I, I i see that one got canceled but you could imagine there's another reality tv show called teen mom and uh and then love after lockup and she became friends with this jen bailey and had a little bit of an audience and there's like a whole circle mostly women uh you know like a lot of mothers or various people And so John Wolf somehow got involved in that and and like all of a sudden I was tuning into John Wolf and he had like a hundred people on his on his uh, live viewers like me and him stream. We hit like 10, I've 10 viewers and a lot of them were, you know, the same names from your chat. He had a a handful of uh, his own contact, but uh, he was able to get in contact with this woman, Jen Bailey, who, uh, um, and all of a sudden he had like 100 viewers on his uh, show. And, uh, you know, God forbid this woman's in prison now. And so when I met her, uh, you know, she went kind of like straight to yelling at me. Cause I guess, you know, she's like an internet drama queen. So I'm on the screen and, uh, you know, like, so I, you know, I tried to do an intervention, you know, God forbid, and she just yelled at me. And then, uh, um, you know, God forbid now she's in prison. She had some sort of like domestic violence where, uh, you know whatever the the e-drama but it's a little bit popular and so this woman amy like i I was on her thing with john and uh you know because like she wanted to interview me because you know this woman jen bailey yelled at me on the john wolf podcast and so like you know like thousands of people saw this clip of jen bailey yelling at this rabbi and like a lot of people were sympathetic it's like oh man don't talk to the you because john wolf occasionally calls me uh you know rabbi so I, i could play the rabbi role but uh You know, so, uh, you know, there's this uh, viral clip of, uh, you know, this drama queen yelling at this rabbi and like a lot of even her followers, like you went too far. And uh, so this woman, Amy, that's been streaming, covering her, uh, you know, daily rants or dating stories um, brought me on. And I spoke more with this woman, Jen Bailey, and then I started doing like a public psychoanalysis. And she was getting pretty good good viewership like i was there with john wolf like the time jen bailey came on like right after she got released from prison got like over three thousand views and uh so she asked me if i wanted to stream again and so so i came up with an idea i was like yeah so uh you let's do something educational i put together a powerpoint on the dangers of the e-personality and like basic uh, psychology um i wanted to be more positive and have a positive message and, and like, you know, have some sort of like rabbinic role. And, uh, you know, so I talked about the dangers that e personality and, uh, you know, I included uh, a picture of your book because you're the one who taught me about that, that book. Um, I, I get, he's probably Persian, the name Elias or whatever. And so I bought that book when you covered it. Um, and, uh, I, I did some basic slides on like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, Freud's ego id, William James. Um, I think you, if you know anything about the narrative identity and role theory of identity. And then, uh, you know, she she had taken a few classes in psychology, a few university courses, and she was interested in psychology and she does true crime and likes uh, psychological analysis of, uh, you know, God forbid, like criminal psychology. So, uh, yeah, worked out, you know, like completely new circles, completely through John Wolfe, Portland, Oregon, um you know de- decent viewerships. So i might even saturday night do another stream and i'll do like a powerpoint presentation on friendship the nature of friendship and uh you know maybe i'll even include some tom muta quote like what is a friend um but like yeah your insight uh on the alt-right i mean she's covering like you know largely like toxic dating situations which is probably more popular um so you know just random
0: and how would you summarize the perils of the e-personality for someone who's never heard of that concept before?
6: Um, so I did precursor with, are, are you familiar with narrative identity theory? I'm not sure. I was saying that like people have personality and parts that make up our identity, but saying our identity to define it as a narrative. So if I was like, well, who is Luke Ford? or like who is duvid you could say well certain personality traits about me but like i'm a story
1: mm-hmm. and like you
6: know certain like hollywood but saying like that uh you know my life has themes and characters and uh, if you want to understand a person you have to understand the arc of their life and then there's the inherent conflict uh your know, dissonance between a person's narrative that they believe like the like the um William James, I versus the me. So there's the the I narrative, which is largely going to be positive, where I'm going to judge myself positively. And then there's the narrative of other people that uh, get put upon me. And then the role of storytelling or other people, you know, maybe that's why you stream, like you set your own narrative and you tell stories about yourself. And, you you know, so maybe your things that you're not so proud of yourself you could rationalize through a narrative. Well, well, why did uh, I end up like this? So you have a narrative and, uh, but there's the, you know, the dissonance of other people also have a narrative about you. And then there's also role theory of identity. And I'd have to look for like the names of the theorists. Both of these are like in the last 30, 40 years, uh, which basically we play multiple different roles, uh, social roles. So like there's an "I," but we're actually defined by other people. I think William James has the famous statement: there's as many selves as there are people who recognize us, that we're basically a different person, uh, to some extent with everyone we interact with. Uh, but we have major roles that become predictive, uh, you maybe like family, employment, uh, religion, social circles. And so I gave that as a precursor to the Internet personality. And so, you know, I quoted some of the major findings from the Elias book of, you know, the power of anonymity or toxicity and the dangers, um, but the ability to create a new role, create your own narrative and, you know, online to just say, you know, I mean, me, me and you have both agreed at this point in real life. Like, no one really takes us that seriously and we're probably dominated you know, from these theories of. Role identity theory and narrative theory by other people's narratives about us by other people's expectation of the role. I mean, I don't get to define. You know, maybe you also, you, we don't get to define our roles. We have to play the roles uh, that are. Assigned for us in order to have successful social interaction, we don't have to, we don't get to define our own narrative. Like, if you walk into synagogue, you'll know, presumably the dominant narrative about you is different than the narrative you would express about yourself and that you know it's probably for all people not not just specific you um and therefore streaming um gives us the opportunity to reinvent ourselves to try to set our own agenda create our own roles uh however because it's fake so i was mentioned like john wolf and you know jen bailey that he you was know, like is this woman your friend or not you know like you're thinking about like streaming um you know, like people you talk to regularly, like Brundle or something. Is Brundle your friend or not? And like, if he is your friend or the you know, real real life, like you know, do you like I ask them, like, do you tell your friends about the you know your internet friends? Um, and you know, do you create a fake identity in order to stream? And then the biggest danger, you know danger because it's entertainment, like uh, you know, okay, God forbid, there's only a handful of people watching, and of the people watching, you know, it's like, well, I could watch something else, you know, make it more interesting, or I'm going to watch something else. And, uh, you know, so it uh, has a negative feedback loop for toxic behavior, uh, you know, specifically this woman, Jen Bailey, that, uh, you know, God forbid her behavior became extremely toxic. And she even admitted that she was doing it for the views. And, uh, you know, so that's specifically, you know, why why I thought of it to uh, to do. And it, it was actually well-received and uh um you know so I actually quoted you and, and included you because I'd heard about this from you know, at at least the uh um
0: you know, the elias book and and uh have you had to struggle with the perils of the e personality
6: um well you know generally i- enjoy, i avoid conflict, so i think the dangers of my e personality like you know god forbid i like um like michael i said like you know convert is miraculous like you know god forbid i've resigned to (laughs) spending the rest of my life arguing with counter-semites um but i wanted to define my own role in my own narrative and that that's kind of like a public intellectual that uh pontificates or you know on on deep issues and creates intellectual circles who are like delving with important intellectual issues you're probably similar to like the role I ident- uh, you know, narrative identity you're trying to, uh, put for yourself, you know, however successful that is, you know, we have our small circles. Um, and then also to put myself forward, kind of like e rabbi, like I'm a failed rabbi. Like I, obviously I studied many years in yeshiva, like five years. I've studied a lot of Talmud. I constantly study Torah. Um, but like within the Orthodox world, I'm kind of, I'm basically just a failed bolchuva and, uh, you know larger jewish worlds that you know god forbid i'm just like an old bachelor you know an eccentric or or you know you, you know, people might think i'm just a weirdo god forbid um so i wanted to set my own identity of like a e rabbi so it was kind of fun like uh you know like uh, you hear with john wolf john wolf calls me rabbi like he's in new orleans and has you, you know john wolf who I'm referring to right yeah i mean i I've, I've met him in your chat I mean, he's in New Orleans, and he's not really connected to anything Jewish, uh, you, you know. So he calls me Rabbi because I teach him, and uh, the you know the people were calling me Rabbi, and so like that never happens in real life. May, maybe on occasion, like like Michael, my, you know, he didn't call me Rabbi, but you know, saying like he appreciates that I'm teaching him Judaism. But in any regular Jewish circle, I would never have a rabbinic role. I would never be considered a, a Jewish authority. Uh, but there's a lot of people that know basically nothing about Judaism. And so, you know, like, you know, to be an e-rabbi or even a positive influence where just people are going to ask me for advice or try to give therapy. Um, so that's how I'm trying to present myself. And, and uh, you know, maybe you also, and, the, you know, the God for Revenge is going to be some weirdo that's online arguing with uh, counter-Semites or, or like, you know, talking with Claire over and over again. So you know, like it's tough. Like if somebody knew, they might look at my channels. Like who the hell is this Claire woman? Why are you talking to her? And so uh, it, you know, might reflect negatively upon me. Uh, but you know, like she's the one who's always in my chat wanting to talk. And uh, you know, so I thought the role, the role theory, identity narrative, identity theory were important ideas where you know we want to define our own narrative. However, it hurts when we hear other people's narratives about us that uh, don't match our own narrative.
0: Yeah, and the title of the, the book I believe is uh, "Virtually You: The Perils of the E- Personality." So, w- what are the perils, though, in what you just said? I mean, it sounds, frankly, just you know, a a good adaptive uh, way of you know bringing more joy and meaning to your life. But are there any peril pa- perils to the narrative that you just described?
6: Well, I'm extremely careful to uh, avoid the perils. And like, I mm-hmm. listened to your content, I read these books and, uh, you know, I made the presentation, but yeah, I might also mention like narrow casting, the echo chamber, uh, you know, the things from the book, like positive reinforcement for negative behavior, uh, the dangers of anonymity. And so we had this case, so this, like, God forbid, this woman, Jen Bailey, who, you know, to some extent publicly ruined her life, um, you know, due to the dangers of e-personality and uh, the negative feedback loop. And, uh, you know, we constant example, I, I think most people um, tend to have a, a worse character. I would say I'm the opposite. I portray myself better than I am in real life online. And, you know, people could try to trigger me or bring out the worst in me. I'm very careful about, uh, you know, trying to you put myself out as like uh, you know some you know someone who's worth listening to an intellectual even the you like an e-rabbi uh as opposed to a lot of people just fall into echo chambers picking sides in disputes and uh, trolling and uh um you know god forbid encouraging toxic behavior so uh i don't really agree I mean, that you know say so like the points that you made on you know, the book and obviously you know, like you you yourself as someone like setting the narrative, like you've, you've probably spent hundreds of hours like arguing with random alt writers and, uh, you know, counter Semites. And, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff I I was getting from getting from you. And that's why I was careful not to fall into that myself.
0: Are there any comedies that you enjoy TV comedies like Seinfeld?
6: No, and I, 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 you know, like, I'm pretty serious. I, I spend most of my time, like, life is too short for entertainment. I have been watching a little bit of the new Night Court. I used to watch Night Court. I may maybe would have been, like, junior high school when it was originally, and they rebooted it, and uh, so, I, like, I did watch a few episodes of that, but uh, generally, no, you know, life is too short, and, uh, you know, I don't have time for entertainment.
0: So you don't seek out anything to add humor to your life, either on YouTube or any, there's no personality you seek out primarily for laughs.
6: No, I mean, I mean I'm, i you know, famous for being anti-laughter. You know, I mean that, you know, saying like laughter is a sign of bad character, at least, uh, you know, some rabbinic views and some uh, psychological views that uh, la- laughter, you know, say it's a sign of bad character. Or of uh, unrefined, uh, un- at least unrefined character.
0: Okay, so uh, private Duvid is pretty much the same as e-personality Duvid. I mean, you're not, you're not kicking back and and cracking up. I mean, do you remember the last time that you laughed and laughed and laughed?
6: No, I mean almost never. You know, maybe in New York, like on drugs or something, but no, no I haven't really laughed uh, my whole life. I, I was very funny. I was like a comedian in a class clown in elementary school, although I myself never really met, laughed. At, you know, it's more on the uh, depressive side. I would say, yeah, I mean, the, the duvid that you get online is the same duvid in real life. I'm saying just the difference is no one takes me seriously in real life. Like I never speak to groups. I never, uh, you know, like get seriously asked for like, I mean, occasionally people reach out to, and, uh, you know, pri- privately, but like generally, like no one takes me serious in real life. So I, I mean, you know, like God willing, uh, yeah, I put myself out there on the line because I like, you know, like I read and I consider myself quite knowledgeable. And so it's kind of like, you know, it's like a Shonda that uh, no one takes me seriously. So I, I that's why I got onto YouTube because like I, th- I think I have all this like good information and knowledge from my studies. So, uh, you know, maybe I could build up an audience of people that take me seriously uh, and I mean, we've talked about this before, maybe you're sim- similar in that, but but yeah, I mean, the same, Duvid is basically the same in real life as streaming, just in real life, like no one sits and listens to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I experienced the same thing. In real life, it's usually considered bad form to talk for longer than 10, 20 seconds without checking in with the other person to make sure that they actually want you to keep talking. But when, when you go online, you can talk for, five minutes or, or five hours all right you can say everything you want to say in real life people when you know people will usually interrupt you pretty quickly
6: yeah i mean if you just don't have the time to even like you know my parents or something like uh even my close friends like that um I, I was you know like me and you um just as i was reading this book i was thinking about this thing i found it interesting and like well, tell me about it And then you spend like, you know, 10, 30 minutes telling me about it. So, I mean, we're having a conversation, so you got to do, you know, like listening and and, uh, skillful exchanges as opposed to, uh, you know, monologuing. Uh, But in real life, there's very few opportunities to just uh, tell people about interesting things. And, uh, you know, I had periods in time where I, I did business type things. So if someone needed to understand, you know, like building permits or how to use some sort of computer software, um, you, you know something technical that maybe I would be doing in a field they might listen to me tens of minutes at a time maybe an hour maybe even an hour but but I mean, it's usually u- uh, utility that I'm just explaining to them how to do something once they know how to do it they're not going to want to listen to me anymore and uh, I think that's pretty natural like you know like a classroom setting a few rabbis very rarely is there an opportunity to just uh, speak at length explaining the interesting things you're thinking about and reading
0: now is there any tv show that you formed like a strong emotional connection with
6: no not at all you're like i remember when uh you know i said night court because I, I i'd watched that show you know, like uh even like reruns nightly when i was a teenager so like i watched a few episodes to see it rebooted kind of like uh cobra kai because i remember those karate kid movies so i was just a little interested to see how they would uh reboot it and like I haven't laughed once and you know let's say it's not particularly that interesting it may just reminiscing on uh, childhood memories but you know like I'm straight serious and uh, you know so YouTube has been my especially now that I'm not smoking marijuana you know to just be depressed that I'm studying and reading and no one cares what I'm studying and reading about Um, so, you know, I've been able to find an audience, uh, you know, people that listen to my content, occasionally talk to me or ask questions in the chat. Um, you know, God forbid, like religiously every morning, I check my YouTube stats and numbers, because like, well, there's definitely people listening and watching me. Yeah, I got like over 80 people in my discord, even though it's pretty dead. And most of the time people ask me about things. It's like counter Semitism. Um. You know, like jennifer we stopped streaming like you know so that was like a godsend just that uh i, I found someone that was interested in the same subjects that they'd be like you you want to talk about the type things you're interested in and uh you know so michael was also like a godsend because like i love judaism but uh you know within the jewish world like no one you know there's so many rabbis i'm sure in la but like uh every synagogue has like you know three or four paid people on staff to teach judaism So, like, no one's going to listen to, like, you know, Duvid's love of Judaism, because there's already, like, three or four people in every Jewish institute being paid to uh, talk about Judaism. So, just, like, to send me Michael, someone who's interested in hearing me explain Judaism, was, like, a godsend to me. And I don't know if you feel like that streaming, too, because, like, you know, I can't admit, like, every single synagogue in L.A. probably has, like, you you know, not just a rabbi, but, like, three or four junior rabbis, uh, you know, rabbis who teach at schools, people in Koylel. So, like, no one's going to listen to you talk about Judaism, but online, you know, or probably, you know, IRL, uh, you know, like non-Jews or secular Jews, you probably, you know, regularly meet people that just see you're Jewish and ask you questions about it. And so, uh,
0: yeah, when I I went to reform temples, a lot of people thought that I was a rabbi or on my way to becoming a rabbi because I was just so gung-ho about Judaism. Therefore, I must be a professional Jew. Therefore, I. I must be a, a rabbi, but, uh, orthodox Jews do uh, suffer from that same misapprehension.
6: Well, and unfortunately the reform, like the downtown synagogue where I used to promote once they go reform, like they, they want their rabbis. Like they're not going to bring, you know, me, me or you in to, you know, talk about an orthodox point of view. They, they specifically want their, uh, reform and like now even the downtown synagogue, even though it only has like, uh, a handful of uh, you know people that actually go there they have like three or four people paid on staff like rabbis and assistant rabbis so you know so like they're not going to bring in like you know me from the outside to teach judaism they already got like four people paid on staff to uh, teach judaism even though there's like no one there that actually even wants to uh, god forbid learn judaism
0: okay yeah uh, i'm gonna wrap it up uh, this evening any any final words
6: uh yeah, thanks for having me on and you know like I said uh you know positive relations like you know we, we keep on talking because uh uh you know it's, it's nice to have someone who's thinking about the same thing or interesting just like you know what what do you uh I, mean, I think my parents like even god forbid they're in the 70s but uh you know they talk a little bit but they're, they're not even interested in, like you know, like what are you reading what are you thinking about uh to listen to each other you know like this to uh explain something so uh you know props to you for creating these streaming circles I might have a debate on evolution on my channel. This uh, chess playing woman, biochemist, maybe like a debate, a friendly conversation about evolution four o'clock tomorrow, though she might have to postpone. And then Thursday, two o'clock, Michael's coming back to my house and we're, you know, going to go over Suka de Zimre. So like, I'm still, you know, like my narrative, you know, like my, you know, my, I, I want the best days ahead of me and, so I, I was happy to meet Michael, and it was like a godsend of, uh, you know, like like I, I was resigned to maybe I'd be spending the rest of my life arguing with counter-Semites, so just someone to reach out, and like, uh, you know, it was like a godsend. So uh, I, I told him I was happy to work with him, so if people want, they could tune in Thursday at 2 o'clock Eastern time.
0: Okay, great. Thanks, David. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.